Summer driving is here, and so are the red-hot deals on the best tire brands at Dobbs. Money saver June deals on new sets of Goodyear, Cooper, Continental, Michelin, and Pirelli tires. Click on GoToDobbs.com to find your next set of tires today. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. This is the Ribs and BK Podcast on 101 ESPN. It comes out of the zone. Move to Shen. Partial break. Shoots. He scores. Bring out the Zamboni. Braden Shen has won the game in overtime for the Blues. 4.54 to go. 3-2 St. Louis. And the St. Louis Blues, they're on the board. As I was saying on Friday, Sunday was the must-win game for the St. Louis Blues. <laughs> Don't remember anybody saying Friday night was the one you had to win. It was Sunday that Sunday, you had to win. Sunday, Sunday. They're back in it, boys. Yep. They're right back in it. If you find a way to win tonight, you feel the same way for the last two Stanley Cup champions that went into the next season and went into the postseason, started up down 2-0. They both came back to win in six. They lost the first two games, won the next four. Jamie, how you feeling after that game last night? I feel fine. I feel good. I wasn't worried about it anyways. Honestly, uh, the Blues play had been trending in this direction. And it sounds, you know, like, uh, I don't say cliche, but the whole time we've been talking about how each game they've had to get better, a little bit better, a little bit better. And they have consistently done that until where last night, even though they did have some adversity and the adversity in the form of not scoring first and then all of a sudden getting the lead and <laughs> giving it right as Pareko and Scandella can't seem to get out of each other's way. But to me, it looked like the Blues team from last year where, you know what? Oh, well, we move on, right? Like next face off, it's a new day here. We got to keep going here. Whereas after game one, and we commented on it, and I said specifically, like I didn't like them whining about some of the calls. I didn't like that Barubi addressed it in the media. To me, I was like, you know what? It's not who you are, guys. It's not what you were last year. Let's get back to being that team that nothing bothers you. And I felt like last night for the very first time from the beginning right till the moment where Braden Shin tucks it top shelf where they keep the peanut butter there, fella. Not a big deal. I thought that that was the best effort from the Blues consistently. Couldn't agree more. I said this on postgame last night, and I truly believe it. Vancouver, St. Louis smelled some fear in Vancouver after last night's game. 
the Blues were the better team at five on five without question. This series, it's been the same thing. I was about to say, that's been the that's been the theme of the series. Well, the third period in game one, the Blues fell apart five on yeah. five. The second period of game two, the Blues fell apart at five on five. It hasn't been a consistent 60 but they've second. they've been better overall at five on five. They have. But last night, I truly felt like Vancouver... Was was in was a little afraid of St. Louis. Guys like David Perron and Braden and Shen have been in the kitchen of Jacob Markstrom and these defensemen all game. You saw Stetcher just lose it on David Perron the other day because Perron is a pest right oh, now. He's annoying. He he's annoying. He's so annoying. He is. Yes. I would be suspended for life playing against him. He's the them. guy that you hate playing against <laughs> until he's on your team. Oh, of course. But Braden Shen is just driving the body through guys. Forty nine hits, guys. That and dude is a freaking. He's He's a monster. He's a monster. So at the end of the third period, when the Blues had that consistent push and it went into OT and Vancouver killed off that power play that wasn't even a power play, they didn't get a freaking shot off. But I truly felt like those guys went back in that locker room and were like, this is a series, boys. And St. Louis knew it. And so that's why going into tonight, Vancouver's backs are against the wall right now. So let me tell you how I felt going into last night's game. Because the same place as the two of you. I was nervous as hell. <laughs> I was leaking confidence. They're down 2-0. Oh, Vancouver, every time. That happens. Every time they get on that power play, I expect them to score. Every single time. I am so sick of watching that team go up against the Blues on the power play. Sick of it. It makes me nervous every single time. Seven for 17 now. It's scary, guys, to watch their puck movement and their setup. And, and the key to it all, believe it or not, is is Miller. JT Miller, yep. who works the half wall on his strong side, which is not really a normal thing, BK. Most of the time, a left-handed shot would work the half wall on the one-timer side. He, he shows a lot of deception. He'll attack the net, slide it back to Quinn Hughes. And as soon as Hughes gets it, you go into that mode of, whoa, we got to block the shot. And no, it's going right over to 40 for a one-timer and or a bump back. Like, they are just, they move that puck very well. The Blues played with desperation, though, last night. That was the difference. The Blues played with desperation. And I thought Baruby coached with desperation last night. I don't know what's going on with Tarasenko. We'll talk about that here later on today. But that's a desperate move if that was a, hey, you're not at 100%. We need to get your mind right. We're going to take you out of the lineup. Taking Vladimir Tarasenko out of the lineup takes some cojones as a coach in a game three, a legitimate must-win game mm-hmm. in the Stanley Cup playoffs with your backs against the wall. Playing Justin Falk the way that they did last night, that takes a little bit of cojones. Putting Jake Allen in net in the first game of a back-to-back when Jordan Bennington basically won you, at least was a significant part, of winning you a Stanley Cup last year, that's a massive move in the lineup. Going with Jordan Cairo in the playoffs, when you haven't trusted him all year long to play the game that you like to play, that's a massive decision as the head coach of this team. Craig Berube coached with desperation last night, and the Blues played with desperation last night. I thought that was one of the biggest keys to the game as well. Well, look, I looked at it. First of all, you're 100% right, okay? But Justin Falk earned it last night, you know, and yeah, he had a couple of pizzas up the middle and he had a couple of those ticking time bombs that I've been talking about. But last night, 
they didn't go in the back of the net on him. They managed to stay out somehow. And last night, he managed to join the attack more than I've seen him join the attack all season long for the Blues. And he got rewarded with an incredible pass from Robert Thomas. And after he scored that goal, you talk about, never mind the monkey, it was like a silverback gorilla was taken off of his back at that point. Because then and he was up the ice, up the ice, and his shots... How many times we talked about, wow, this this Justin Falk on the power play in Carolina, he had this bomb, right? Well, we started to see it last night. And how about the physicality? You know, he, you know he's not a big guy, a right? A season high with eight hits? Where he's like come from? He's like 5'11 at best. And he's not a big, heavy guy. And he led the team in hits last night. I think that the players showing desperation made a difference. Jordan Cairo has never skated that hard on a back check in his life. <laughs> I'm telling you right now. And his legs were moving. And guess what? He was a difference maker last night. I think the Blues needed to put him in. We talked about that. Mm-hmm. I mentioned it last week that that speed, yeah, there's a risk on the defensive side, but you're a half a step behind the young team right now, and Kairou evened that up. He was on a whole bunch of loose pucks, did a great job, and Craig Berube, the number one thing he said is that Jordan Kairou competed like he's never seen before. So you get Falk and Kairou, who you didn't expect to get big games from, or you were hoping, but you didn't expect it. Jake Allen gave you a great game, and then you had Braden Shen step up. Again, the usual suspects, David Perron, Ryan O'Reilly. Hey, guys, I'm telling you right now, they're starting to feel the flow a little bit here. Well, and with Kairou, I I mean, you put him on that. To go from the fourth line to the top line is a lot of respect from your head coach, and he looked good out there with Braden Shen and Tyler Bozak because those two are very responsible with the puck, so Kairou can play his game. You know, Jacob De La Rose, guys, had a really solid performance for the Blues, 50% from the faceoff, but he was a really good penalty killer for that team. All of this, though, for me, surrounded because of Jake Allen. The Blues needed those saves. They lost those first two games because those odd man rushes, those breakaways, Bennington wasn't stopping those. You need your goalie to make that save so that that can shift the momentum back to your guys. There was a there was about 45 seconds in the second period where Vancouver was getting shot after shot and the Blues looked like they didn't know what they were doing. Like they were just standing there. Allen covers the puck. He freezes the play from that moment on. It was all the Blues. So your goaltender gave you the confidence so that Falk and Kairou and all of these guys can jump up into play and create the offense because they know their goaltenders got their back. Jake Allen had what you call a sticky game. Okay, what I mean by that is the pucks stuck to him. They didn't explode off of him. And when you have a goalie that's in their in the groove, okay, feeling their game, they swallow up those rebounds. It's like yep. Velcro, where the puck just sort of hits them and dies. And now Jordan Bennington is incredible at that. That's one of the things that carried the St. Louis Blues through the playoffs last year as the second and third chance. They just weren't available. Last night, I saw that out of Jake Allen, that for the most part, he was seeing the puck, he was tracking it, and he was holding on to it without the second or third rebound. And his reactions on a couple, specifically Jay Beagle, that one redirection kind of threw his legs and it was going wide. Yeah. And Jake Allen just pounced on it and it, it never materialized. Mm-hmm. He just swallowed it up. And how well does he play the puck? Oh, he's like a he's third defenseman it back there. He kills that, that forecheck. For the Vancouver Canucks, they come in flying, and all of a sudden the puck is one pass. And I'm not talking goalie stuff where he's rimming it around the glass. I'm talking about where he's, like, dropping his shoulder, 
like looking you off left and sliding it right as an outlet pass. I'm like, I didn't pass that good out of my own end. I'm jealous. <laughs> do you think they go back with him tonight? Because I, I do. I don't know if I would do it or not, given the fact that it's a back to back. But I do think it deserves conversation in that room right now as to whether or not you the guy that is the hot hand right now. Certainly conversation. And Craig Berube with the the with the cojones that he's got, you never know. Here is my thoughts on it, though. My thoughts are that Jake Allen played one period against the Chicago Blackhawks in the exhibition game. Mm-hmm. Then he played one game in the round robin against the Dallas Stars. Then he played 75 minutes last night. Those legs are going to feel really heavy for him today. Yeah, I can guarantee it. Same can be said for Markstrom. His legs are going to feel really heavy today, too. So if I'm Craig Berube, I'm evaluating about trying to put as much speed as I can in the lineup today. And I want to put pucks to the net nonstop. That first period, I want 20 shots on net. I want Markstrom to be down every single time so that come the second period, he's got nothing left in those picks. Flip side of that, you don't want Vancouver to do that to Jake Allen because his endurance isn't built up right now. I personally, me, I would come back with Bennington, and it's just because he's fresh. And not because I don't think Jake Allen played well. I think he was a rock star. Trust me. But I'd hate to see it where Jake starts to seize up kind of halfway through the game, and then the squeakers go in, and then we're screwed. Then we're actually screwed. Joe Vitale made a good point last night on the postgame. He said, and you would know this too, Ribs, because you've been in the locker room. He, he said that it's going to come down to Bruby's going to talk with Allen tonight or this morning and say, Jake, how are you feeling? He's going to look and see what the sharpness is like. He's going to see what the legs feel like. They're not going to skate, and he's going to evaluate it off of that. If it were me, I would go to Bennington as well because I, it's an internal competition with these two guys. They don't they don't hate each other, but they feed off of each other. And I think Bennington sees Allen's performance and says, okay, now I'm going to go out there and do that for my guys and make up for what he did because, look, those round-robin games, Bennington was the reason you were in every one of those hockey games. That's, that's a good point. Uh, so the way that Bennington plays, I wouldn't be surprised if he went out there and pitched out a game like Jake Allen did. It's going to be a tough decision, though. And I'll yeah. say this. If Markstrom goes back in there, the Blues are in Markstrom's head. Mm-hmm. Joe Vitale called him a spaz, and that's exactly what he is on the ice. If you watched him after Perron took that extra whack at his pad in the third period, Markstrom oh, immediately... He was like trying to knee him yeah, and all he like sorts punched of- him, and then he went over to the official and started complaining. They're in Markstrom's head right now. I just wonder if the Canucks are a little bit in Bennington's head as well. And maybe the time off allowed him, and being able to see it from a different perspective, yeah. allowed him to have that time to get back inside of his own head and he's now mentally where he needs to be but it felt like after game two he was in his own head in a way that you don't want to see from Bennington and that we haven't really seen from him very often in his career thus far good point now one thing too last thing about Markstrom that yeah. I'll say is he's down on every shot you watch the Blues shot their shot charts and see where they're going. They're going high all the time, all the time, all the time, which means Markstrom's down, which means in a back-to-back game, that's a lot of work to push that six-foot-six frame up off the ice all the time. It's eleven fourteen. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. We'll talk more Blues versus Canucks coming up with Lou Korak when he joins us at 11.30. I've got some questions about Vladdy. We'll do that coming up in the 12 o'clock hour. But coming up next, Jamie, our guys. Dylan Carlson, Tyler O'Neill, they were the stars of the weekend. Have they earned two starting outfield spots for the time being? We'll talk about that coming up on 101 ESPN. 
We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Carlson hits it out to right base hit. His first major league hit. Carlson around first base, Miller to third. Dylan in safely at second base. Dylan Carlson. How about that? First hit for Dylan Carlson over the weekend. And Jamie, for me, he was at a, as advertised. Played all three spots in the outfield. Hit a double down the line. Another that went to the warning track that on another day in another ballpark that's not Chicago probably goes out of the park. This is the kind of player that the Cardinals desperately needed. And to me, he's a guy that should be in the lineup every day moving forward. The numbers weren't necessarily there over the weekend. If you look at the batting average, it says only 200. Don't look at that. If you watch the games over the weekend, we all saw it. We all saw a guy that looked like he belonged in the big leagues. Ribs, did you, I want to play that audio. Did you hear BK in the background of this first hit for Dylan Carlson? Listen. Carlson hits it out to right base hit. His first major league hit. That's not, that's not real. How'd you get to Chicago? That hey, was man. amazing. BK. I was actually next to Danny Mack. They're they're broadcasting from St. Louis, so you it might sound lot. like I was there. I was just outside, just like knocking on the glass, just making sure that Dan knew. Carlson painted on his chest. <laughs> no wonder his voice was a little raspy yesterday when I was talking to him <laughs> on the phone. Um, but look, I, seriously, Carlson didn't get a home run every game, as uh, advertised. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm done with you already. I'm back just down kidding. to Springfield then. 1121, <laughs> and I'm already done. Rivers on a Monday. Get Carlson out of here. No, I'm just kidding. Look, it, I thought the biggest thing for me, as always, and you guys laugh at me about it, but the body language, right? And to me, his body Is language. the doctor back? The doctor's back. The doctor's in the house. Doc, Doc, Doc Rivers. Anyways, um, Dylan Carlson's body language looked like somebody who was very comfortable at that. But I thought his first at bat, he looked a little awkward, and which is obviously normal, okay, to be expected. After that, I thought that he settled in pretty good. I thought that he was watching the pitches very well, and you know, I, I just looked at it and go, you know what, this is a guy that looks like he should be here. And for that to be his first ever Major League Baseball game, and for somebody to think that, I think that that kind of tells a story within itself. Now, I do think that he should probably get in the gym a little bit. I think he could afford to throw a few pounds on some muscle and get some more man strength on him. Uh, just hey, because. 21. Just talk to Tyler O'Neill. You'll figure it out. Uh, guys, we I, I like him, BK. We don't have to build yeah, I don't statues. need to hear about the negatives. Yeah. You turn him. You make him stop, BK. Here, I don't care. I'm going to tell you what I think. He needs to get in the gym a little bit, all right? Leave me alone. He'll get in there. He doesn't need a statue yet, BK. I, I disagree. I think he could use one. And I love how he got the number three, getting a single digit for the Cardinals. That's not a small thing. What, did we just forget Jed Jerko? Yes. <laughs> so if he had picked a double digit, he's not as good? Correct. Well, what if he wanted that number? Eh, not No, he didn't. But what if he did? Eh, well, then we would have figured was- that out. There was one other guy over the weekend. <laughs> My guy performed. Jamie, so did yours. Let's take a listen. And the one pitch. In the Got air, him. deep left field, at the wall, gone! <laughs> My man! My man! What were you saying? You could just see it coming. That kind of guy. You called it. You gotta know you gotta know what your guy can do. You gotta know My what man. to put your guy into the position so he can succeed. 
Jamie, I'm looking at something. I want you to take a look at this. I'll tweet this out at BK Sports Talk on Twitter. The red is really good. I'm looking at uh, Tyler O'Neill's StatCast page right now. Anything that is in the red is a really good sign. That means you're a top 10 percentile in a certain category. He is at like the 95th percentile or above in almost every major statistical category. He has zero strikeouts still this season. Tyler O'Neill has yet to strike out eh? on the season. My Canadian, eh? He's hella hitting the hell out of the baseball. He's knocking homers left and right. He's playing good defense out in left field. Jamie, to me, we have now seen this should be the Cardinals outfield for the foreseeable future. It should be Dylan Carlson, Tyler O'Neill, and they can do whatever they want in right field. On certain days, it can be Dexter Fowler. Other days, he can play DH, and maybe you put Harrison Bader in center and figure it out that way. But those two, to me, should be the everyday outfielders in your lineup right now with Tyler O'Neill and Dylan. Carlson. Well, what's impressing me about Tyler O'Neill is that it's not just uh, a, a, you know a, a fluke, because people right away the first couple of games are like ah you know it's small sample size and it is still a small sample size, but it's trending properly, and all I mean by that is that he's getting really solid at bats. He's pushing pitchers into areas that they don't like, and look at his home run that he had. It was kind of down in a way. It really, it wasn't even a home run pitch, right? Especially for a guy like Tyler O'Neill likes to come around on the ball. He hit it and it wasn't even like solid on the barrel. And he still managed to push it out for what, like 400 feet, 378 feet. That's not bad for down and away and not really getting a hold of it. But it's again, to me, it's his, his demeanor in the batter's box. He doesn't seem so jacked up to hit the ball every time it's pitched, right? Like, he's relaxed, and those pitches that are close that used to get him, where he'd be swinging at things or he'd be caught looking and watching the the pitch come in and be a called strike, that's not happening right now. He's managing to adjust on the fly as well, and if it's something that is close enough to where at the end of the as the pitch is coming in, he's getting a bit of a bat on it just to stay alive. Foul it away, stay alive. To me, he's really reading the pitches really well, and especially the location of the pitches. He's not out there just taking a nibble at everything that goes by him. He's doing the opposite of what Harrison Bader is doing. And I mean, I don't say that as a shot at Harrison Bader. I say that uh, truly, like you're you're not striking out. You're making contact. You're hitting off speed pitches. You're an asset to this team right now. And this is what John Mozeliak and company were were wanting to do from the beginning. They wanted to know what they had in Tyler O'Neill. Were you looking at another Randall Gritchick? Or were you looking at somebody who can legitimately help this ball club? And I think they found it. I think you hit it on the head, BK. You found your left field moving forward because defensively he's not a liability for you he can hit the ball he can hit anywhere in your lineup and he's got speed on the base yeah, he does on top of that dylan carlson yes we knew this was there but now you truly know that he's making contact he's he's getting on base he's an asset for you so you found two pieces for yourselves to work with and now you figure out what that recipe is in right field is it always fowler is it fowler until the contract is done and then it's lane thomas or is it somebody else that's the next piece they gotta well, we find don't out even know right now what Lane Thomas is. Exactly. And this is unfortunate for Lane Thomas. And this is how it happens, right? What was that? Wally Pip? Yep. Okay, <laughs> Wally we talk Pipped about him. that, right? But this is Lane Thomas would have had a great opportunity. Heck, we probably wouldn't have seen Dylan Carlson yet, to be honest, if Lane Thomas had stayed healthy. So to John Mosellock's point at the start, where I know it aggravated the heck out of you, BK, was we have to see what we have here. We have to see what we have. Well, now what's proving his point is Tyler O'Neill. Yes. And again, um, 
what's proving your point is Dylan Carlson doing his thing. Again, now the Wally Pip of the season so far, Lane Thomas, to where he hasn't been able to perform. And it's, you know, say it's his fault, it's not his fault, whatever circumstances, no matter what, has not been able to get out there consistently and show us and John Mosaloc what he truly is. And there's a very clear reason as to why Tyler O'Neill has been able to take advantage of this. It's his ability against sliders. Oh, I thought it's because he was Canadian. That too. We talk so much about Harrison Bader and his inability to hang off on that slider, right? We see it every single time that he comes up to the plate. You know exactly what's going to happen. And he just falls for it every time. It's Charlie Brown with the football. (laughs) It's just every single time. I didn't know if you'd know know what that was. And I'm like, it's Charlie Brown with the football. Then you said, do you know what that is? Oh, of course I do. Okay, all right. Lucy's going to do it. It's going to happen every single time. Little jerk. I'll be damned if Harrison Bader doesn't fall for it. Just wish Charlie kicked her single time. (laughs) And last year, that was the case. Over the last couple of years, that was sometimes the case whenever Tyler O'Neill got to the bigs. He was great. He was mashing everything down in the minors. He'd get to the bigs. He'd see a slider and then he'd hit 188 against it. That's what he did last year. This year against sliders, Jamie, so far, small sample size, Mm -hmm. so far, He's batting 455 with a slugging percentage over a thousand against good? sliders. <laughs> Is what's that I, good? What's high score mean? Did I break it? Is that good? Yeah. That's really, really, really good. That's what and I so if something like that continues, and he's only chasing 20% of the pitches outside of the zone right now, down from 41% a year ago, he's cutting down on the pitches that he's chasing. He's hitting everything that goes through the zone. He's up to 88% of contact on pitches that are inside the zone. He's got hard contact, too. He's dominating the baseball right now and these are trend lines these are things that are tangible you can see that he has made a clear adjustment in his approach at the plate this is the difference between him and a guy like Harrison Bader Bader hasn't made those adjustments despite having every opportunity to do so has and now that he has he's seeing the pitches that he needs to be able to hit and he's crushing them whenever he gets them I do need to make one correction to what I said earlier today he does have four strikeouts on the season I apologize I was looking at his K percentage which is at the hundred percentile in Major League Baseball it does not mean he has none yet but his strikeout rate is the lowest in all of Major League Baseball which is not what you'd expect out of Tyler O'Neill, given what we've seen so far from him in his career I have to address something as well on the air comfort service text line six five seven eight Oh, from the 573, they said it was Linus, not Charlie Brown. No, I apologize, 573. If you go to YouTube and you do Charlie Brown missing the football, Linus carried the blanket. Pigpen obviously was full of dust and dirt. Lucy ran her own shrink company. It was like for five cents a a session or something like that. And Charlie Brown, I'm sorry, Charlie Brown fell for the dang football being moved every time. Don't you debate our Charlie Brown knowledge in this one. Don't you test me on Charlie Brown. Was it called Pigpen? I thought it just called Stinky. No, Pigpen. Pigpen. It's too early on a Monday morning to be out here questioning Jamie Rivers' knowledge. Not Charlie Charlie Brown. Brown. Don't you touch Charlie Brown knowledge. Yeah, right, 573. What are we going to see from the Blues tonight? (laughs) And will Vladimir Tarasenko be back into the lineup? We'll ask Lou Korak. He's a Blues insider for NHL.com. He's going to join us on Ribs and BK coming up next. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. 
alongside Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Happy to be joined by Luke Korak. He's the Blues insider for NHL.com. You can also follow him on Twitter at LKorak10. Lou, thank you as always for time, my, my friend. What did you think of the Blues win last night? Well, it was finally good to see. I mean, it only took five months, guys. I mean, um, we hadn't talked about a Blues win since, what, March 11th? Uh, it was nice. It's nice to finally, you know, be able to point out some things on the winning side here and uh, definitely a well-deserved win. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think they were, you know, they were probably good enough to win that game in regulation, in my opinion. But uh, this is the uh, Stanley Cup playoffs, and sometimes, you know, you got to – you got to put in a little extra effort to get that W, and they're on the board. And uh, I think we have a, ourselves a series now. Sweet Lou, how are you, buddy? <laughs> Riv, you sound a little upbeat this morning. Yeah, yeah, I'm uh, running on very little fuel, but I am very <laughs> excited about the win last night. Um, obviously, I think the big question that that Craig Berube is going to face today is: Do you go back to Jake Allen, or do you go with Jordan Bennington? So, sweet Lou, I'm not going to let you off the hook today i'm uh, wondering what your opinion is on that and maybe if you have a lean one way or the other having talked to anybody yet about it well i put in my two cents the other day which doesn't mean it equates to much but i thought that they should go with uh, 34 in the cage last night and uh i'll be honest with you it's it's a tough question it's it, it's not as cut and dry as one might think but uh I think with the way he performed last night and just being fresh, and when I say fresh, I mean he hasn't been taxed a lot. I mean, Jordan Bennington's gotten, you know, the majority of the minutes and the ice time since they've been up in Edmonton, and the fact that they're not traveling and the fact that they're right there, I I think you've got to go back to Jake Allen. I mean, he put in a great effort last night, uh, looked calm to me, and I I thought uh, that was really – really key for this team. Uh, We've seen Jake in the past when he struggled, uh, you sort of see him swimming around in his net and he's off his angles. And, but I just thought he was really composed last night and two goals he gave up. I mean, those are, those are world-class shots by, by world-class players. Let's face it. And I mean, you know, one off of uh, just a mental mistake on the too many men. And then you had, uh, you know, two reliable defensemen, obviously, with miscommunication there. And you you basically give him a goal. So he made the saves that he had to make. Yes, he saw 41 shots last night. But uh, I, I think that, you know, this is something that he's been able to handle in the past. I mean, Jamie, you can attest to this. I mean, these guys in the minor leagues, I mean, they're used to what, you know, going back to back to back. So this isn't anything new for him. So I, I, I think if uh, Craig Berube has that chat with him and Jake Allen says, yeah, I'm ready to go, I think you got to go with him again because he gave that team a spark last night. Another guy that gave the team a spark last night was Justin Falk. It, it was, for me, the best that I've seen him in a Blues uniform, Lou. What changed for him last night, and how do you think they get this out of him more consistently moving forward? I just think that he was engaged. I mean, he led the team in hits with eight last night, which is something that you don't normally see. Uh, You know, he incorporated himself into the offense and was pinching when he needed to pinch, was, you know, stable, uh, getting behind pucks and positionally sound. I mean, he was just all over the ice. And when I've watched him in the past in games where, you know, you don't see him really make much of an impact, he's just kind of there and, 
you know, hoping, you know, making some of those hope plays, but not necessarily making confident plays. He just looked like a confident hockey player last night. I mean, makes a great read to jump in there with Robert Thomas makes the great play and with the four check and separates uh, Stetcher from the puck and is able to, you know, thread the needle to him there and make a great slot pass and they tie it up. And he just, he just made really good hockey decisions and looked like a very confident hockey player. And, Boy, if he could just uh, keep that blueprint uh, moving forward here, I think he's going to start winning the fan base over again because, let's face it, you know, Blues fans have expected a lot more out of him this year. I understand it's it's a complete different change for him and a complete different system, and it just hasn't really happened for him on a consistent basis. But I think that's the Justin Falk that uh, the Blues were hoping to get from the very beginning. Lou, we, uh, we were out without Alex Steen last night. We were without Vladimir Tarasenko. We were without we were Ivan Barbashev. I'm just wondering if you have your ear to the ground at all, wondering maybe uh, how far away Ivan Barbashev is from being cleared from quarantine to join the St. Louis. And also, the same breath, I'd like to know if we have any idea of what these nagging injuries are that may be holding Alex Steen and Vladimir Tarasenko out of the lineup. Well, a million-dollar question, Riv, and it's, uh, it's a tough one. You know, Craig Berube was, as usual, you know, pretty – non-committal with it last night and uh, calling both guys uh, day-to-day right now. And uh, you're right. They have been nagging injuries because these are, these are things where they've been able to get in the lineup and then they're out of the lineup, get in the lineup and out of the lineup. At least that's the way it's been with uh, Alex Steen here. And obviously Tarasenko missed a game there during the round Robin and got right back on the horse. Uh, and last night, uh, kind of a surprise not to see him in the lineup, but something there must be something underlying there. I wish I could tell you what it was, but not, not anything to, to my knowledge on either guy. You know, this is this is the playoffs. Everything's pretty tight-lipped, and with uh, more restrictions up there, it's even tougher to get information out right now. But uh, Barbashev, uh, my understanding is, is if he got into the – he got there on the 14th, which would have been – I'm getting my days mixed up here – Friday, he's going to have to go four days of quarantine and produce four negative – days of test for COVID-19. So uh, if I got my math right, um, today would be his fourth day. So my understanding is he would have to miss tonight, but tomorrow would be the first day that he would be out. The delete that they've missed him in this series and uh, a guy that just uh, really makes an impact for this team uh, doing all the little things. Uh, they can definitely use him back in a lineup. It would be great to have him in there tonight, especially to provide a fresh body, but Unfortunately, doesn't look like that's going to happen. And, uh, you know, I think the lineup last night that performed, performed well. If he goes with the same lineup again, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, And why would you change things right now, considering I thought they played their most complete game since they've been up there? Again, we're talking with Lou Korak, better known as Sweet Lou, who covers the St. Louis Blues for NHL.com. And you can find him on Twitter at LKorak10. Lou, I want to stick with the lineup a little bit here. And again, another young guy that I'd like to hit on, Jordan Cairo. What bit of a surprise to see him join the series last night, although his speed is desperately needed. You know, your first take on on Jordan Cairo last night, I personally thought that it was arguably one of the best games I've seen him play in a Blues uniform. I agree with you, and uh, not just for the fact of what he produces and what we know that he can produce. We know 
He's got the ability to produce the offense. We know this guy, when he gets the puck, he can make things happen. We know he's able to blow by a defenseman when he's got the real estate to do it. But it's just the little things away from the puck and being defensively responsible. I thought those were some of the areas that you saw last night. And Craig Berube touched on that. He thought it was his most complete game, and I agreed with him. And uh, those are the things that they're trying to get out of him. I think it's very similar to what you saw when the Blues were first starting to work Sammy Blay into the lineup. An offensive-minded guy, you know what you're going to get from him on that side of the puck, but the little things away from the puck, just being defensively responsible, not being caught out of position, making smart plays with the puck, being positionally sound, those are things that they were working with him, and Blay finally got it, and uh, although it's one game, let's let's not jump the gun. Love to see this continue. If this does continue, though, I think you're going to see Jordan Cairo more regularly in the lineup, and I thought it was a good switch that they moved him up there and played him with Shannon Bozak last night. You can obviously see the impact that he made and and helping those guys make plays as well. So not not to knock Oscar Sundquist, I think he's very a very sound hockey player, but I think he can really stabilize that fourth line more than a Jordan Cairo can. Jordan Cairo to me is just not a fourth line type of a player and the things that they're asking those guys to do. So those are some of the subtle changes that I thought worked out for them. And, uh, you know, if Jordan Cairo can kind of get it in his head that last night is kind of the way that they're looking for me to play, he's going to be a more regular in this lineup and, and deservedly so. Lou, one thing we talked a lot about during the pause was what the Blues are going to have to do this offseason in order to retain Alex Petrangelo. Like, what what would have to be shipped out in order to keep Petro here? And a guy that we brought up a lot was the potential of trading Jaden Schwartz because of the contract, the number that is on the books, and what that would mean for Petro being able to come back. As I'm watching this series, I just have a really hard time looking at what Jaden Schwartz is doing and saying to myself, yeah, that's a guy that the Blues could afford to lose in the offseason. Do you think that that is somebody that the Blues would look to potentially trade? And how much would they be losing by giving up on that guy whenever we're seeing what he brings to the table in this series? Well, that's a great question. And uh, that's that that's a tough one to answer because there are while you know what you're going to get Schwartz on a a daily basis in, in the effort category, this guy is never to be questioned for his effort and his tenacity and just his willingness to go all out to try to help this hockey club win. And uh, those are all great traits to have, but uh, you know, we're getting towards the end of his contract and where you could see the horizon where, you know, another deal is going to be on the table for him. And you're probably looking at a guy that's, you know, going to want an uptick in salary. And, and when you're talking about that, you're probably looking at a guy that's going to be looking at that $6 million or more a year range. And that's a question that the Blues are going to have to ask themselves. Do they want to make that kind of a commitment? Now, Jaden Schwartz, he definitely has an offensive side upside to him, and we know how much he can produce offensively, but can they get that kind of production out of him consistently? I think if you're going to be paying a guy that kind of money, you're going to have to consistently get the offensive numbers out of him to match all those other great traits that I had mentioned earlier about him. If he can produce that on a consistent basis, I find it difficult to be able to want to part with a guy like that who's great in the locker room, great with his teammates. They absolutely love having him. Those are some of the little things that, you know, tend to go unnoticed too. I mean, you know, do you really want to part yourself with a popular guy? I'm not sure right now that's something that uh, 
I'd want to be looking at. But with the Alex Petrangelo situation literally staring the blues in the face here, you're going to have to look at all options. And I definitely think that is something that you're going to have to look at for sure. Hopefully those decisions can be put off a little bit longer as the Blues try to get back into this series and even things up tonight. You can read his work. He's Luke Korak. You find it NHL.com. You can also follow him on Twitter at Korak10. Lou, we always appreciate the time, my man. Enjoy the game tonight. Try to get yourself some sleep here eventually. Good talking to you, boys. Let's do it again tonight, and hopefully we're talking about a best-of-three series here tomorrow. You got it. That's Lou Korak joining us here on 101 ESPN. I think that they've got so many fascinating decisions in the offseason, Jamie. We'll talk about this a little bit more coming up in the 12 o'clock hour, but what's happening right now with Vladimir Tarasenko? What does that mean for Jaden Schwartz moving forward? How does Alex Petrangelo fit into all of this? It's questions that we've got some time to answer, and hopefully we get even more time as the Blues continue moving along here, but it's it's questions nonetheless. Blues versus Canucks. Game number four tonight. Pre-game with Alex Ferrario at 8.30. Puck drop will be coming up at 9.30. Coming up next, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Questions and answers here on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. With former Blue Superstar defenseman Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kiley. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Get, let's get some questions and answers. This one comes from the 314. Hey, Jamie, why do go- goalies need a rest when all the other players are skating and hitting all game? But nobody ever says that they need to get a rest on a back-to-back. You know what? I would have said the same thing until I started to jump in net as a goalie. And Wait, I know, what? Okay, laugh all you want. <laughs> when I was with the Boston Bruins, Robbie Fatorik, who is a legend, by the way, we had Byron Defoe that tweaked his groin, and the Bruins were kind of cheap at the time. They didn't want to call up a goalie for practice. So Robbie went down the list and saw that I had the most blocked shots on the team. Ah. So he's like, you're going to play goalie because you're obviously a guy who's not afraid of the puck. <laughs> so I'm not, guys, I'm not kidding you. I suited up as a goalie like for at least two weeks, off and on, off and on. That's awesome. It was amazing. I was having so much fun with it. But let me tell you this. Now I get it. You're in that crouch position all the time. You're down, you're up, you're down, you're up. You're pushing side to side. I was absolutely buckled at the end of each practice. So much sweat, too. It is really, really hard to be a goalie. And so what what they mean by goalies not getting the rest is, again, they're in that crouch position all the time. The legs are burning. The back is burning. It is hard to go back to back, especially when you think you're getting 30 to 35 shots a game. Never mind that. The missed attempts up in the 60s range, that means even for every one of those shots, you're moving or you're relocating your body. That's what they mean by that, and that's why goalies get so tired out. Same reason as the as the catchers, right? Yeah. If you've got the, the day-night doubleheader. That was really good. How about that? You got the day-night doubleheader, you've got a late-night game, and then going into the midday game the next day, you typically see for teams that don't have Yadier Molina as their catcher, you typically see them replace that catcher in that second game. So it's the same thing for the goalie. You're in a similar crouched mm-hmm. position. You've got all the equipment on. It's just I I have no experience doing so for either situation. I would imagine that's freaking exhausting. I actually almost got to play in an NHL game when I was as with a Florida. In Florida. Because Mike Keenan, same thing. 
he had known that I had practiced as a goalie with the Boston Bruins. We had a couple of injuries right at morning skate. I actually finished morning skate as the only goaltender the Florida Panther had for that night. And they made me a jersey and everything like I was going to play that night, not as a starter. They had gotten a guy on call up from somewhere to come up in time. But the backup goalie, they were like, we don't have a backup goalie. So I'm like three quarters suited up and I'm getting ready to go. And this kid that they called up manages to get there. I'm like, go away. Get lost. I'll give Did you. Did you want to play? Uh, yeah. I, I had played every position. Lefty, righty, left wing, center, right wing. The only one I hadn't played was goalie. I was going to say, can you imagine what that uh, length of the NHL career would be? That he could like, hey, I could, I could play goaltender <laughs> for guys. Like literally, I the am. flexibility I bring to your roster. He was a Brad Miller. Call me Millsy, baby. He, he, would be, he would be the Brett Favre of the NHL. Just like 43 years old, just sitting on the bench like, hey, whatever you need, coach, I'm here for. All I wanted to do is sit there with the towel around my neck with the ball hat on at the end of the bench as the backup goalie. And then I told the guys, I'm like, one face off. You've got to, like the other goalie, I'm like, you've got to go down. You have an equipment problem. I got to get in there. Imagine if imagine if you had one great game as a goaltender. <laughs> he could set. He could have been for three years a backup goalie in the NHL. <laughs> they, they basically carry three goaltenders yeah. on their roster at all times. And you're, for what backup goalies make, you're looking at another $2 million a year. Year. Yeah. Six five seven eight zero is the air comfort service text line for questions and answers from the six one eight. Hey guys, if the Blues win tonight, would you say that they have officially broken Vancouver? Yes. Oh yeah. I think they. I think they're already there. I think that right now, it's one small thing and Vancouver is going to break. You watch their guys. When they're getting hit, they're lumbering. Quinn Hughes wasn't as much of a factor last night. Still a factor, don't get me wrong here, but not as controlling with the puck last night. Obviously, we know that ROR has been a nightmare for Pedersen all series. I'm telling you, Bo Horvat, I hate to jinx it, he didn't have a great night last night. Are the Blues kind of figuring him out or at least knowing where he's at? This game here, so. <laughs> this this reminds me of the Blues team that's leaning on an opponent and just leaning on them, and this is where it starts to pay off. What did Joe Vitale tell you guys last week? It's what his grandpa told him. You know, you hit that rock so many times. Was it the 99 times you hit it, or was it that last one? And that's kind of what the Blues have done right now. Mm-hmm. They, you saw Vancouver go in for Forchat or go in back on the defensive side, and they would turn and hesitate because they knew that the Blues were coming in to finish checks. You're to the point now where where Vancouver is acting like the Sharks acted in the Western Conference Final. What what do we say at the start of the series? Every hit, you're putting a dollar in the bank, right? Now, after game four, you start pulling that money out because it's paying you back. And when Barbashev gets in... That's four lines that are just going to create hell on those teams. It was always about buying time for the Blues. It was buying time to get back to their game. It was buying time to be able to make those hits count later on in the series. It was buying time to get these guys back healthy. It was about getting to game five or six and being in the series. If they could do that, we all believe if this thing goes seven, I'm going to fully anticipate the Blues are the team that win that seventh game. So it, it was always early on about finding a way to just stay mm-hmm. in this thing. And that was what was so frustrating about Friday night for me was, God, that's a game they needed to win. Yeah. They needed that one. And then they, the fact that they were able to bounce back the way that they did last night was so critical. So they, this is another one tonight that, I, that they really need this one as well. Vancouver's problem is that they don't know the strategy, what the Blues struggle with. Remember? 
Doug Armstrong jammed the knife into the brain and oh, killed yeah, the opponent. Yeah. <laughs> Vancouver's not they sure. They haven't had that pain Vancouver yet. Vancouver doesn't know that yet. The Blues know what that's like. Yeah, they do. All right, we got another one here uh, on the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. This is a good one, actually, and a lot of people have been bringing it up. It says, uh, from the 314, so the Blues keep getting stuck playing the late game, which is crap, especially since Arizona and Colorado are in the zone. I'm, and this is kind of flattering. As a future Hall of Famer, thank you very much yeah. for recognizing that. Superstar. Jamie, would you rather stick to the 930 because now you're used to playing it, or would you rather play earlier on better ice? That's a really good question, okay? And with a back-to-back tonight, I would rather keep the late one, let, my, let the horses get a little bit more rest, but ultimately the best time slot out of all of it is the middle game. Mm-hmm. That five o'clock or 5 30 start whatever that one is 4 30 yeah. right now somewhere in there right the early one stinks you're just your body's not adjusted to that you're just not used to playing it's like early a 12 games. o'clock day game in the regular season it, and it's always keeps you off balance yeah. right so that next one that time slot of that 4 30 or that five whatever it is wherever it sets up the ice is still going to be in pretty good shape you're on a bit of a no- more normal schedule and let's be honest here guys we get to watch hockey a little earlier and we don't have to stay up all damn night so that's what I think of I don't that. know what you're talking about, Ribs. I love going to bed at 3 o'clock in the morning after a long game. That's <laughs> my personal favorite thing. You were just hitting the it. Jack and Coke at 3 o'clock. Well, that's the point, right? There were two pitching performances over the weekend that I think deserve a little bit more attention. Plus, there's one thing about this restart for the Cardinals that I got to admit, I hadn't really considered. And it might be a really meaningful thing. We'll talk about that coming up on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Alongside former Blue superstar defenseman Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kyle. It's a crazy time in all of our lives right now. Got engaged a week and a half ago. Ferrario staying up until 4 a.m. drinking pina coladas and Mai Tais. It hasn't changed. It's been there. Kitty cocktails. And hey. Pretty sure there were some seltzers in there. Maybe a Long Island Usually or two. Usually I mix them all together and just create this super drink. It's called the Long Island. It's called swamp water. <laughs> <laughs> and Jamie Rivers' daughter is heading back to Mizzou today. Yeah. My- Pretty much. Yeah. Uh, my oldest, Carson, uh, nicknamed Alabama through the power at the ends of the initial quarantine here. We might have to get her a new nickname after the photos that surfaced over the weekend of Alabama, to be very clear here. Yes. Oh, yes. Okay. To be very clear. <laughs> so what kind to of clarify, photos surfaced? Now, Campus at Alabama was a bleep show over there. It was. And uh, she's going back to Mizzou. You're, you're stomping grounds, buddy. So uh, it's going to be a little bit of a drive today. But we did have a great time with her. We had an extended time because of this pandemic, which if you're going to find anything, the silver lining of anything is the family time that we were provided here. So she'll be missed. My wife and I love her very much, and we're so proud of her. So have a safe drive today, honey. Call me when you get there. And I'll be down on Friday to help you hang those curtains. I love that school. I love that school so much. God, that place is awesome. Columbia. It's it's just it is it is truly the best. It is the best. There you go. Speaking of the best, Alex Reyes. We got to talk about what he was able to do over the, the weekend. The Ray Dog. <laughs> we got it. No, no, no. <laughs> no. Let's think this through a little more. <laughs> Jamie, that was a little too off the top. Yeah. Razor? Razor Reyes? Razor's pretty that good. That was better. He was sharp. 
Oh, now, see why you got to ruin it like that. I, Alex Reyes agreed. Here's what he had to say <laughs> after his outing on Saturday. I felt great, you know, uh, coming into to summer camp, you know, before testing positive for COVID. I felt really good. You know, I was able to to get some things throughout my delivery and I'm feeling good. Ball's coming out of my hand well. Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I've never given up. I've always worked hard and I'm... I, you know, I'm, there's still a lot of work to do. It's just one outing. I got to go back out there and still compete. That was Alex Reyes after his uh, debut of this season. Jamie, he looked really good. This was the first player so far this season to have three strikeouts in one inning on 98-plus mile-per-hour fastballs. That's the stuff we've heard so much about for so many years now that was once a top-five prospect of baseball. If this is him, if he can continue this, and it's – We've talked about small sample sizes so much and Stay we positive get brought here. up all the time about Tyler O'Neill, but this is certainly as small of a sample size as you can get with one outing. But if he's able to sustain this moving forward, Jamie, you not only have a guy that can be a weapon out of the bullpen, you have one of the best bullpen arms in all of baseball. Again, small sample size mm-hmm. alert, but that's what he looked like with his stuff earlier over the weekend so this is what i saw right away first thing i said is holy crap this guy can throw the ball i mean he was humming it in there he had some control issues on a few pitches but when you're throwing the ball that hard i think that comes with the territory and one thing that jim edmonds brought up on the broadcast with our own danny mack was that it looks like a real easy 98 mile an hour fastball like and what he meant by that, he did explain it. Thank you, because I was lost, Jimmy, so I'm glad you explained it. But he just basically said doesn't look like he's overthrowing the ball. He doesn't look uncomfortable when he's delivering the ball. This is this is potentially your number one closer. Yeah. Think about it, right? When you got a guy that's throwing 98-plus miles an hour, and he had a couple of, I don't know what the pitches were. You can help me with that, off-speed or some breaking balls. But it did the the speed of the ball was substantially different. So giving the batters, you know, some opposite looks at what he's got. If you can keep guys guessing enough for three outs, and in this one here in particular, three strikeouts, I was really, really impressed. And and I guess what it tells me is that when this guy's not punching walls in the dugout, he's got some serious potential and he could be just what the Cardinals need. He's he certainly could be that. And over the last few years, he just hasn't been available. I mean, if you look at what he did 2018, 2019, he had a total of seven innings in the big leagues. Just hasn't been healthy, and we know the story of Alex Reyes. At one point, was a top five prospect in all of baseball. He was supposed to be the next big guy in the rotation. What Jack Flaherty is now, that was supposed to be Alex Reyes. So I don't think he's going to reach that height. It's going to be difficult to get there. How old is he now? What, 24, 25 years old? So it's not impossible. No, but it just... With all of the issues that have surrounded him injury-wise, it's going to be tough to get there. Now, what did um, he have? Did he have the Tommy John? He had everything, dude. His, his shoulders have been a serious problem for him. So it, that probably is off the table of being that number one ace starter. That's okay. He doesn't have to be that to still be a success story for the Cardinals. If he can be a closer for you in the shortened season, then maybe next year he comes back and he tries to be a starter or goes back to the bullpen role and is a fireman or whatever the role ends up being for him. That can be a hugely valuable piece to this team, especially right now when they're down so many pitchers in both the rotation and the bullpen. A guy like this, if he buys you a little bit of time while you've got some of your other pitchers out, 
is huge for them. The other guy that was huge over the weekend that we need to discuss a little bit was Wayno because he set the tone. His start on Saturday and the first game of that doubleheader allowed the rest of the rotation, the rest of the staff to set itself up for that bullpen game in game two. And then for yesterday's game, I know it didn't go as any of us had hoped, but they had pitchers available because of what Wayno was able to do going five innings in that first start. I thought, and we all said this on Friday, two, three innings. That's probably what you're looking at from your starters. Wayno going five was <laughs> massive to set them up. Well, especially look in all of our heads, maybe not all, but in, in my head initially when they said that Adam Wainwright was going to be the starter of the first game out of this big pause for the COVID pause for the Cardinals. I thought two, three innings max. Yep. This guy goes out there and gives you, what, five innings of solid pitching? And he was he was fighting to try and get in there for the sixth yeah. inning. Like, he's being told, no, you're out. Like, it's it. Like, someone tackle this guy because he's not going back out there. So I, right away in my head, I go, he's 38 years old. He's putting together performances like this in the craziest of situations. Like, what? What does he have left in him? Like, I'm not joking, yeah. BK. Like, if he, in this season where he's got these long pauses and the spring training is all out of whack and you've got summer camp and all this other crap going on, he's still giving you performances like that? Like, that's valuable. He's only had two outings so far this year because of the COVID. Mm-hmm. And he's been great in both of them. His first start, we forget because it was almost a month ago well, now. that's what I was going to say. This, the distance between... The two starts. He went six innings. He gave you a quality start, allowed just one earned, and in his most recent start over the weekend, gave you five when all of us would have been totally content with two or three, was efficient in those five innings, just 67 pitches, looked great. If he's able to build on this, you continue to think about bringing him back for another just year, keep which going is one crazy. Year, one year, one year. But that's where you're at right now. Yeah. And, Jamie, based on what we saw over the weekend from Reyes, from Wayno, from all of these guys, Dexter Fowler even had a good weekend. Tyler O'Neill was great. You had all of these guys that were pitching in with significant roles. It made me think, did we maybe underrate what that pause could mean for this team? We all know when there's adversity that hits, your team typically reacts in one of two ways. We've seen with the Indians, it apparently broke the trust between oh, yeah. those two starting pitchers, Clevenger and Plezak, and the rest of the roster. They've now sent those guys home. They said, you can't be here anymore. The players basically revolted. There was a player that said, if they're back, we're gone. So that didn't go well. The Cardinals have seemingly gone the other route. They've come together during this time and everything that we saw over the weekend looked like a team that was going to keep it together until they get all their guys back, which could be as soon as this upcoming weekend. Jamie, is it possible that that kind of adversity could be something that we look back on and say that was a rallying point for the Cardinals? That was actually the taking off point for the Cardinals. And they end up going on a little bit of a run here as a result. Absolutely. I mean, this that's what miracle seasons, right? And I, I'll use that term very loosely at this point. But let's say really good seasons. Sometimes that's what they're made of is the adversity. And where do you think I'm going to go? St. Louis Blues last year. Like, they're nowhere to be found. Last in the NHL at the, through in January, and then they put out this amazing run and win the Stanley Cup. Now, I'm not saying the Cardinals go on a tear here and win the World Series, but yes, if you're Mike Schilt and you're Adam Wainwright and you're Yadier Molina and you're the leadership group of this team, 
It is us against the world right now. They don't think we can play 53 games in 49 days. They don't think we're going to be able to do anything. They don't think our young guys can play. They don't think we're deep enough here. It's all these things, that bulletin board stuff, right? You put it on the on the chalkboard or on the dry erase board in the locker room. Hey, look at reporter here said this. Oh, and look you know at Schulte's doing it. Oh, Schulte's doing it for sure. Hey, look what BK said about us. Well, maybe not BK, but look at what Rivers said about us. You know, like he's definitely doing that for Miller. He does. Hey, yeah. look, look what BK said about you. Millsy, Millsy and Weedy. Look at this. Millsy and Weedy. He doesn't even want to see you in the lineup today. He, he no says you're no good. You guys. He says you're uh, you're blocking the young guys. Show him why you well, can't. They are. Yeah, well, and the well, young guys look pretty good. Especially Andrew Kisner. I, I was very impressed with that guy. He looks pretty good over the weekend. Oh, KZ. That one works. Jay-Z, KZ. It works. Let's play a game of in or out. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line. In or out coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Six five seven eight zero is the air comfort service X line for in or out. We've been talking about this for a while. John Nagowski is awesome, guys. The nog. Did you see his debut? Was stealing my nickname I gave to him. <laughs> I got yelled at for that. I was gonna call him Big Nog, but that kind of doesn't really. John Big Nog. What? Ignog. Ignog. John oh, Nog. I don't know about that. J Nog. J Nog. Oh, there we go. J Nog might work. Snoop that might Nog. stick. Snoop Nog. Snoop no, Nog. Not, not ribs. No. You hit it and then you went too far. You win it, you went too far. I need Nagowski on this radio show. Anybody who knows him, please tell him to text in 65780. BK needs a big glass of Nog. I don't think that's going to be the way to get him on the radio not, not show. I'm not quite sure that that'll work, Alex. In or out, we can get John Nagowski on this show. We're the midday show. We're the, the cast of characters that are the island of misfit toys. Whoa. Do you think if he listens to the show... Does that increase our chances or decrease our chances? (laughs) We were excited. We were the only show in town talking about John Nagowski. We were. And he got his hit. He did. Chris Ranji did not. was like, what? Did you see that hater? Yeah. Forget that guy. Thanks, Ranj. He doesn't get it. He doesn't get the show. He doesn't get it. No. I, I didn't appreciate the way that. Oh, this is a good one from the 618. The Nog Father. The Nog Father. I do like that. That okay, might that be the one. That one's sticking. That might be the one. So now, his social media, I don't know if he has anything. Tell, Get a hold of him and tell him that the Midday Show, Ribs and BK, have nicknamed him the Nog Father. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for in or out. Let's get into some of these, Jamie. Sure. In or out of on seven inning doubleheaders for Major League Baseball after the 2020 season. I'm all in. Anything I have of value, I'm all in. I will Major League Baseball, I will give you anything I have of value for not just seven inning doubleheaders, seven innings, period. <laughs> Just seven inning games. I'm not joking. I know the baseball purists would be like, we hate you, Rivers. Don't ever say that again. Seven innings is right in the sweet spot. That game was over. I was like, you know what? I really like that. Leaves you wanting a little bit more. Yeah, and I was like ready for the next one. And Nine innings, I feel like it's just a bit too long. 
I'm all in on the seven innings. I love it. I'm in on it, too. I'd love to see what some of the numbers look like for players like Jack Flaherty going seven out. So, I mean, you're looking at more complete games, shutouts. You're looking at some hella numbers for a pitcher like that. So I look like Bob Gibson. I'm telling you. in the distance every game. I'm all Starters in. become more important again. Yeah. Like That's one thing that's kind of gone to the wayside now. You have so many teams that have gone to the opener, right? Or you've got pitch starters that are going three, four, maybe five innings and a good start. If you've got guys like Jack Flaherty that can give you complete games and then they save up your bullpen for the next day and then maybe Wayno goes five and Dakota Hudson goes four. Well, now those starters have become even more valuable than they once were. I'm in. I don't think they ever go to the seven inning game. I love the seven inning doubleheaders, though. That was fantastic. I loved it over the weekend. I'm getting killed on the text line. Riz, you can leave St. Louis. Yeah, let's do two periods of hockey, too. (laughs) Well played. Well played. Well, the difference, of course, is that the two periods of hockey are timed. Yeah. Baseball is an untimed sport. And sometimes the nine innings. Listen, I love baseball. Baseball is my second favorite sport. I grew up with it. Nine innings can go a little long sometimes. Look, I think we can all agree with that, especially when you have uh, 18 innings over the course of the game. You got those three, pitchers that take forever or three, the batters that readjust their gloves every freaking pitch. Or Yeah, three periods of hockey and an overtime in the playoffs can be wrapped up before nine innings of baseball sometimes. Those nine inning doubleheaders are brutal. Brutal. Danny Mack even seemed to like it over the weekend. He was like, hey, man, this is great. He actually, this morning, I caught it. He was doing the crossover, Randy and Michelle, and he talked about how he loved it, too. Now, obviously, he's got a personal interest, too, because he's like, seven innings are much easier for me to get two seven-inning games in. But I thought the action was good. I enjoyed it. I don't know. I'm I'm in on that. It flowed quicker. It was just you get in, you get out, kind of like in or out. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in in or out. That's what she said. (laughs) In honor of Shark Week, the St. Louis Aquarium is debuting a new rope bridge that hangs over the massive 250-gallon shark tank called Shark Canyon, Jamie. Mm -hmm. In or out, you would walk across this thing over Shark Canyon at the St. Louis Aquarium. Oh, I'm in. That stuff doesn't bother me. Rivers probably fought a shark once. No, no, no. I'm, I almost got bit by one one time, though. Yeah, the tiger shark. It was awful. Coming I, I, right up to the where? right in Florida, down there. I was in a spot where I shouldn't have been. Surprise, surprise. At a time of day, I shouldn't have been out there with the blood alcohol level that probably was higher than it needed to be. None of this is surprising. Yeah. Actually, the cops saved my life because they were trying to arrest me for being out there. And uh, me running out of the water actually saved my life because then when he flashed a light on the water, there were a bunch of sharks just like waiting. Yeah, that's true. So you did die on the ice and you almost died on the water. Yes. What's wrong with you, man? I don't know. They, they, trust me. They've been, it's been years they've been trying to figure out. But back to the original question, I'm in. I'm all for it, man. I like that stuff. Oh, yeah, hell yeah. I'm walking across that bad boy. This looks awful. Like, I'm so glad the St. Louis Aquarium is doing this. I'm sure there are plenty of people like you two crazy nut jobs that would love to do this. This is insanity. But you're just walking across it. You don't have to dive in, yeah. do you? There's glass in between you and the water. Is there? I'm pretty sure it's just rope. What's the liability on that, though? Imagine that. Think about that. Got a few wobbly pops in you. Pretty sure it's frowned upon to do this hammered. <laughs> like, maybe not illegal. It's not a sport unless you're hammered. <laughs> I would imagine that 
That's my mantra from 2 o'clock in the morning on. Anything worth doing, you got to do it yeah, drunk. That's true. I would imagine the reaction would be similar to the one that they had whenever you got arrested or nearly arrested. Nearly. Down I in did, Florida. They did not actually put me in the cuffs. Rivs, con- Rivs continues to elude being handcuffed. Ooh, not Probably always. Not a true statement. Not always. Probably Alex. not a true statement. Depends if they're fuzzy or not. What? That's what she said. <laughs> Six five seven eight zero is the air comfort service text line for in or out. Jamie, in or out on this house that is up for sale in Fayette, Missouri. Now, let me give you a few of the details. I'll give you the description. This comes from Zillow. Wait until you get to picture number 30, the 1875 Howard County Sheriff's House in jail. Extremely unique opportunity. Extensive renovation back in 2005 captures modern high-end finishes with traditional architecture and character. The home is 2,500 square feet. Let me get to the important part of this. The best part connected to the home is a 2,500-foot legitimate jail with nine cells, a booking room, and a half bath, just for good measure. The cell doors lock. That half bath is just a hole in one of the jail cells. Oh, they lock? Yep. That's a party right there. That's what I'm saying. Better not forget the safe word that night. In or out for 350K, you're interested. I'm going to power right through this. (laughs) So far in this segment, we've heard in or out. We've heard (laughs) fuzzy. Safe word. Handcuffs and safe words. That's what she said. Exactly. Uh, I'm not in on buying it. I think that it's just kind of weird. I don't know if I'd want to jail in my basement. I feel like things would go really wrong with something like that going on. So I'm out on purchasing the house, but I'm all in on going to a party there. You said 300,000? 350K. That's ridiculous. That's cheap for a prison. You go try to buy one of those things. Have you investigated those? Yeah. I tried to turn the real estate over. Jesus. I was like, come on. I'm not on this. I'd rather spend that money elsewhere that doesn't have a jail cell in my basement. (laughs) This sounds like a great, great opportunity for Airbnb. Like this would be one hell of an investment. You put it up for like 200 bucks a night. You know what, though? Now that I think about it, you got young kids, got four or five young kids. You got built in babysitter. Good point. Just lock them up. Just food. Lock them up. Hey, bread, water, all the necessities. You feed half them on bath. a tray. You half, got the half bath yeah, downstairs. Half bath. A hole in the ground. Look at that. They can learn how to do whittle prison shanks and melt toothbrushes. It's perfect for them. What? Did you sure your daughter was crying because she was said she was going away to college, or was she more? She got parole. She's done. (laughs) She's done whittling shanks in your basement. Child protection services are suddenly going to show up at Jamie's house. Go back and do your puzzle. We just call it a fun game of hide and seek. Oh my god! You go hide down there. Turn the lights out. Lock them in. Daddy's going to go look for beer. Six five seven eight zero is the air comfort service text line. Now I know why you were out whenever there was a thunderstorm the other night. From the three one four. Hey BK, do you just go home every day, watch Lifetime with? ice cream and the rest uh and wear a snuggie you're such a pansy dude whoa that's exactly whoa. what i do do you actually. have a snuggie yeah it's do you incredibly comfortable yeah, jokes on you i love it yeah we have one at home i don't know if i've ever actually put it on yeah liar uh, yeah no you, you wear would, it guys i would tell you guys right now i mean honestly i have no problem with it when you put it on it's game changing all right 
Snuggy. And have you ever watched the Lifetime movies? I mean, you only have to pay attention for five minutes because they're all the same. It's yeah. great. I watch teach me how to snuggy. Teach me how to snuggy. Who doesn't like ice cream? <laughs> Wait, Ted Drew's the other day here was fantastic. That's different. That's custard. That's different. Okay. Well, ice cream, custard, it's all good. I just say yes. Ted Drew's people are going to get you now. <laughs> What's going on with Vladdy? What's going there? Is he healthy? Is he hurt? Was he a healthy scratch? And if he was, the heck does that mean moving forward for the St. Louis Blues? We'll talk about all of that coming up on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Let's go Blues on 101 ESPN. Cannot imagine that you've just taken a maintenance day with Vladimir Tarasenko, to be honest with you. Um, but the challenge is, is because we can't go to these practices and see him speak because we can't, you know, get into that locker room and ask some other questions to get around coach speak. Uh, and, and by the way, I don't, that's not knocking Craig or Ruby at all. There's a national hockey league. You said any injuries when a guy doesn't play, we're not even saying he's a healthy scratch anymore. It's just unfit to play, which I at least think they should at least say whether the guy is, is unfit to play or a healthy scratch. Um, but they're not even doing that. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kiley. That was Chris Kerber on Carriker and Smallman this morning talking about why Vladimir Tarasenko was not in the lineup last night. And listen, we don't have answers here. We, we don't have any breaking news for you. We don't have answers. All we know is what Chris Kerber just said. He was unfit to play. That being said, he played in the game prior. We think potentially he could play tonight. I don't think you're doing maintenance days with a guy like Vladimir Tarasenko. This is a guy that if he can play, typically you'd want him out there on the ice. It makes me question, and again, this is all speculation on my behalf. Was there something more here behind the scenes? Was Vladdy not playing as hard as Craig Berube wanted to see him? Was he not playing the style that Berube wanted to see? And if that is the case, Jamie, I think there are questions not only for the now with Vladdy, and those are certainly important. Is he going to play tonight? What's his role on this team right now? There are also questions moving forward, because if Berube is not all in on the Vladimir Tarasenko experience. And Vladdy's one of your highest paid players. He's one of your franchise icons. Does he have a place here over the long term? Is he in this for the long haul with this current regime moving forward? What do you think about that, Jamie? Well, first of all, I think that uh, it's been pretty obvious that Vladdy has not been playing up to par. Uh, he's just, for whatever reason, the legs aren't moving. He's not driving the lanes. He's not forcing offensive opportunities. He's not capitalizing on getting the puck. He's not shooting it quick enough. All these things that we would expect out of Vladimir Tarasenko that make him such a dynamic player. Now, that being said, is it Craig Berube sitting him out and doing I honestly don't think so. I don't, because how are you going to get Vladimir Tarasenko motivated or back into game shape, not just physically, but mentally as well, by every time, if you don't like his game, you scratch him. We know how that works with superstars in in hockey. They get, or in sports in general, they can tend to get a little sideways on that, and you're actually in a worse position than you were at the start of it all. So I think there might be something... 
nagging at Vladimir Tarasenko, and I think that maybe it's prohibiting him from doing some of this stuff. But the bottom line is he has to be way more offensively creative out there. He's got to be driven. When Vladdy's skating, like look back to last year's playoffs. When he's skating, he's a really hard individual to defend. And with a flick of the wrist, he's able to put the puck in the back of the net. But we're not seeing it right now. It's taking too long to evolve. And the Vancouver Canucks being a very, very fast team, and they're on him very quickly, it's nullified the the Vladdy experience throughout these playoffs. So, you know, I think it's a, a, a tough spot to be in if you're Craig Berube, but you got to find a way to get him going. Now, is sitting him out a way to get it going? We don't know. Not sure. Is he got a nagging injury? How do you help him through that? Who do you put him with? How can he be more of a factor? This is tough. And to your point, if if this is a bad marriage right now, which, by the way, I have no idea. If it is a bad marriage right now between Barubi and Tarasenko, it's never getting better. Let's, let's just be honest here right now. It will never get better. In fact, it'll get worse way quicker than it gets better. And that's just because Craig Barubi is the chief. He's the head coach. He's the boss. Vladimir Tarasenko is your dynamic player and if they are not on the same page i've seen this a million times in sports specifically in hockey just get it over with get the divorce over with and go your own ways because it never ends pretty so i guess we'll see where we're at i would imagine that we'll get an update well probably not for a while because they don't have to (laughs) because the game's not until like tomorrow basically and we've been getting the updates like 15 minutes before the game so i don't think we're gonna have these anytime soon that's the required usually it's when they hit the ice for warm-ups when you get that final update from everything unless somebody's gonna leak something out uh you know i said this last night with pregame that with Tarasenko, you, you part of you wondered if just something wasn't right physically for him because without playing hockey for 10 months and getting in, like you wonder if things just are still a little tweaked and then Craig Berube just being cautious with all of this. But like Curb said, you're not going to just set this guy out for a maintenance day in the playoffs. You need him in there. You need him to get reps. You need him to get shots. You know, the only thing for me that, that's hard to believe that there's a problem within is because Craig Berube found a way to get to Vladimir Tarasenko last season last season yeah it's last season but Tarasenko played the way that he needed to to be effective and his defensive play on top of his offensive play was a game changer for the Blues in the postseason run now you flash forward to this for about for what from October 24th on and you're Vladimir Tarasenko and again, this is just me talking here. I would think that maybe he came back and was expecting to jump back into play immediately, jumping back in on that time, getting 18 minutes a night, being on that 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 number one unit every chance you have. And Craig Berube's just not going to do that. Anytime you see a player come back from a long injury, better than on top of it, two shoulder surgeries, you're going to be cautious with that guy. So his ice time was right around 15, 16, 17 minutes. Maybe that's not where Vladimir Tarasenko likes it. But for me, it's hard to believe that there's a problem within that locker room because Tarasenko is a team guy from the times I've gotten to talk to him. But more so than anything, Craig Berube was able to 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 get in touch with Tarasenko last year to get him to play. Now, can you do that consistently? I don't know. If there is a problem, then yeah, something needs to be resolved because you can't keep going with this. I'll say it again. I've said it before. It is time to play Robert Thomas with Vladimir Tarasenko. As much as we've liked Thomas with a couple of different guys and some of the young guys and whatnot, 
it's time, man. You've got to give Vladdy somebody who can skate so well and create so much and let Vladdy just be out there, receive these passes and pull the trigger. I, I just think that it's time. And I, I know that Craig Berube and his staff will certainly, they'll do whatever they think is best for the team. But I sure would like to see it a couple times just to see if it can ignite Vladdy a little bit and excite Vladdy to get involved more and get him to penetrate to the net or more speed towards the middle of the ice or just shooting it for that matter. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 636. Guys, it seems unfair that Tarasenko is out 10 months and everybody just expects him to jump in and be a superstar. I think that's fair. Um, it, it is an unfair thing that we're doing to expect him to be a superstar. But I don't think no, any isn't. of us in this room are expecting him to be at 100% again. He looks nothing like himself right now. He doesn't look like the Vladimir Tarasenko that we're used to seeing. And so it, it, when you have that guy that has been playing and then you have the decision last night, I don't think it's unfair to speculate on what's going on here. What is it that is keeping Vladimir Tarasenko off the ice? Now, if this was a third-line player that was scratched from the lineup last night, you see that all the time. We're talking about your highest-paid player who's making an average of $7.5 million per year that everybody has said is healthy. And I don't know if that means he's 100% or 80%, but he's healthy, good enough to play based on all of the reports that we heard in training camp leading into this restart. I think there it is very legitimate to question what went into this decision last night and what does it mean moving forward? I think that's a- absolutely a legitimate question to ask right now. Yeah, it is. I want to jump back to your comment earlier just about how you say, well, it's, you know, we can't expect him to come back and yeah, we can. Okay? He is at one of the premier players in the NHL and under normal circumstances, I would give him a lot more leeway. But the entire league paused for, what, three to four months. And we talked about this before. It basically reset just for Vladdy. And other guys have struggled a little bit, too, coming out of the pause. And they've had to work through some things. Some guys have flourished quicker than others. But what I'm seeing here, and it's a Craig Berube thing, too, the compete level. You don't have to score every time you touch the ice. You don't have to score every power play. But you got to compete. You got to empty the tanks. You've got to make sure that you're giving your line mates a reason to give you the puck. Make sure that you're creating space between defenders for your line mates to be successful. Everything you do is about making the team better. And I, what I'm seeing is Vladdy's not pushing the limits, he's not pushing himself enough. Now, in fairness, is it because he's just not doing it or is he not able to do it because of some minor nagging injury that would be, in my opinion, a lower body injury? I know they're unfit to play is what they yep. go with. But to me, if he's not being able to skate as well as he can, it would tell me it's a lower body injury. But BK, honestly, he's had enough time. He's just like everybody else. He should be competing harder than he is. Yeah, uh, 65780 is Air Comfort Service text line from the 618. I think it's the same speculation we've heard surrounding Vladimir Tarasenko for years. I don't. I, I think that this is different. I think that when you're in a game three in a must-win game in the Stanley Cup playoffs and Craig Berube, the coach that we all trust implicitly, decides to sit you 
and we don't have an explanation as to why. And we don't know if it's injury related or a healthy scratch. And you're the highest paid player on the team, the guy that they counted on last year to carry them in the postseason for scoring and a guy that we thought was going to be able to have that potential again this postseason. I don't think that's the same speculation as we've heard around Vladimir Tarasenko in the past. I think this is entirely different. And let me. me just say one last thing about this Vladdy thing. If anybody thinks we're dogging on him, no. One, I'm be, I'm, we're being very honest with our opinions, but this is how good this is that it has us this rattled, right? Like, if you think back to watching Vladimir Tarasenko when he is playing his best hockey, he is noticeable every single time he touches the ice. And so I guess what I'm saying is, I just want to see that player again for Vladdy, for the team, for everybody involved. So I'm not dogging on Vladdy. All I'm saying is that he has that potential to drag a team through a game or two all by himself. This is also he he is in part, potentially, depending on what is actually going on here, a victim of the NHL's own rules. Them saying we're only doing the unfit to play thing could be exactly what is ha- that that could be the downfall of this conversation. Yeah, it's a little weird that they've done that. I, I still don't understand it. I know they don't want to disclose the COVID. Well, it's up to the team's discretion, too, because there was a couple of different coaches that disclosed, like I think it was Bruce Cassidy yeah. that disclosed, <clears throat> excuse me, what was going on with Pasternak. So I think it's well, up he to the did team. That to take away the speculation of the, of the COVID, COVID. But right? they've had zero positive tests in the bubble. So, I mean, it's hard to speculate with with a with a COVID tests on well, those. Well, all the more reason though than not say just right. unfit to play. Yeah. All it's the more silly. reason to be like, yeah, he's got it's an a, upper lower or something. We like said that. in the beginning hockey related yeah. injury. We said in the beginning it was silly and it continues to be silly now. It's adding more issues than it is taking away issues from the NHL. And I think that just as a little bit of a disclaimer on the back end here, that is potentially what's happening here with Flatty. But if it's not the injury, I think there is some serious questions to be asked in the future as to what this means for him with the Blues moving forward. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. Pre-game for Blues versus Canucks. Game number four tonight at 830 right here on 101 ESPN. Puck drops at 930. Coming up next, it's time for the junk drawer. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Former Blues superstar defenseman Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's dive into the junk drawer. Jamie, go ahead and get us kicked off today. All right. So during this pandemic, um, we have seen several different strategies when it comes to whole adult entertainment of the dancing nature. We had the Las Vegas one. I think there was the drive through. There was, yes. I don't even know if you call it a lap dance. We'll call it the drive through glass dance. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've had a couple. I think that's different, actually. Uh, is it? Yeah. All right. Either way, we've had a lot of different attempts at try to keep this business going, um, including, you know, having great wings for Lou Williams to go in there and get his wings during his little break, too. Well, I can't believe we haven't seen this sooner. Uh-oh. 550 Canadians. Yeah. Naturally. Yep, yep, yep. Proud moment. Canadians were exposed 
to coronavirus thanks oh, to no. a dancer at a Toronto strip club. Oh, that's not good. Yeah, so... How long uh, was she dancing while she had the Rona? Well, we're not sure, right? Uh, we don't call them strippers anymore either. They are called dancers, okay? Mm-hmm. But they're called entertainers. Entertainers, yes. According to the it's research, uh, the Brass Rail, the strip club that is in question... <laughs> what a great name. Yep, it, it's true. It, I've seen it, allegedly. Um, in Toronto. And they are indeed talented, huh? And they are talented. So anyways, uh, yeah, these fellas got what they paid for, apparently. Um, not knowing what they paid for in this one, but August, the nights of August 4, 5, 7, and 8, there was packed house at the Brass Rail in Toronto, and the dancer in question was very busy doing a very good job of tucking away the money and paying bills. Unfortunately, it looks like she may have come into contact with uh, 550 individuals. What happened? I guess on the there was sl- no social distancing. I guess there wasn't, but oh my God, she she must be a great dancer. 550 people. Did she take the sixth off? She's driving a Range Rover, man. You said four, five, seven, and eight. Did she just decide to? Kick back on the sixth. Yeah, she had to. Uh, Maybe that was a Sunday. She had to ice down and get ready for the back-to-back seven. The and sixth eight. is a Thursday. Those aren't the best nights. Thursday, yeah, yeah you don't. That's, that's the, the B team. Thursday so, dollar night. I guess my question to you guys is: is how does this change things moving forward? Knowing that, first of all, it's kind of a tough one to begin with, right? Like, I think they've, I think they've eliminated lap dances. I think. I don't know. I don't know how you get Alex, in contact with 550 have people. Have they eliminated that, Alex? Oh, yeah, they've totally eliminated okay, that, right. or at least I've been told. Want to I check with our restricted. field reporter? Huh? I think they're just restricted. Restricted? Mm-hmm. Like movies? Less contact. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, apparently too much still in Canada. Six, Way to go, Canada! The six-foot lap dance. That's what they're doing. At six feet. Yeah, you do the lap dance over there. That costs a lot for shoes. Only works for Ferrari. <laughs> Um, so we were talking earlier today about Shark Week, right? And you had your close encounter yes. with the shark down in Florida. Australia had a close encounter with a shark. I feel like you would do this for Shannon. Oh, oh. I'm not sure I'm capable of doing this for Kara. An Australian surfer saved his wife's life. You know what he did? Punched the shark right in the face. Punched him right in the face. Okay. Shark was getting after his wife, and this guy swam over, helped her to shore, and punched the shark right in the noggin to get him away. You wouldn't do that for Kara? I would like to believe that I could do it for Kara. I want to decide upon that before you get married. So he swam over Uh and punched the shark in the face. Boom. It's a good strategy. They say that if you're going to do that, you got to get them right on the top of the snout. Like to either push them down. That's the one spot that they can't really. Now, if your judgment's off, your aim is off, probably lose your arm at the same time. Um, Don't hit the teeth. Yeah, I think you got to do it. I think you got to man up at that point. I mean, would you just stand there and cheer her on with pom-poms? Swim, honey. You're doing great. I think that's what you have to do. I think you got to. I'm saying I'm not sure I would be successful in doing it. Yeah, I think you just go to town. You get in there and you keep swinging and swing until there's no arms left, no legs left. 
<laughs> yeah, See where it goes from there, huh? it, out from it, there. It might be a quick fight, and you don't have to worry about it anymore. At least you tried. Yeah, honey, call 911. Tell them to come pick me up, whatever's left of me. Yeah, you looked good doing it. I have an update if I can throw this into the junk drawer, Jamie. Uh, you can always throw it in the junk so, drawer. So, out on Twitter, I found our guy, John Nagowski. Oh, yes. Otherwise known as the Nog Father. The Nog Father. <laughs> and he... Uh, He's he's got to get his social media game up. Okay. He only has fourteen hundred followers on Twitter. Oh yeah. He is at John underscore Nagowski eight. I said we've got to get our guy the Nog Father some more followers on Twitter. Yes. Let's go Cardinals fans. He has responded. No, he hasn't. Said what a nickname. Ten out of ten. I think it's going to stick, boys. The Nog Father is officially go. John Nagowski's new nickname. He actually responded to you? He actually responded. Wow, his social game is really weak. <laughs> Hope he just now you're going to follow that one. up. You got to say, we got to get you on the show. Come on, BK. Okay. This is how we close deals. I'll respond to him. Will ABC, you? always be closing. Our life mission on this show <laughs> is to get John Nagowski as a guest by the end of the season. No, by the end of the week. Yeah, come on. Side attainable goals, Jamie. Uh, no, but if you don't push yourself, BK, you can't be you can't be a difference maker if you don't push yourself. I've always been told that, and I always fall short. <laughs> I'm gonna set achievable goals. We're getting the Nog Father on here. <laughs> I need you to close things up All with right. uh, with with the Nog Father with John Mozeliak oh. with Mo. Yeah, you gotta you gotta tell Mo over a couple of Mo fashions. Yeah. Hey Mo, listen. We really like this John Nagowski that you brought up. Got his first big league hit. Yeah, we got to talk about the base running. Figure that out. <laughs> but we would love to have him on the radio show. Yeah, I think we do that. I'd just say it's a, I think it's a great story. Too. What that would really look like is is probably a couple days at Bush Stadium where they're just doing you know very light workouts. Um, what I mean by that would be playing catch. Um, getting the legs going again, running, but light. Um, no bullpens, flat ground at most, those types of things. And then if if those boxes were checked after a couple days, we'd likely then have them transition to Springfield for uh, maybe three or four days. It, it's, it's all going to depend on how people react. But so based on what I just told you, mathematically getting somebody you know up here to Chicago would be very unlikely. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. Do we have breaking news here? We've got breaking news. Uh, I uh, sent out the bat signal to the, the Nog father, John Nagowski, asking if he'd like to come on the show. And he just, uh, I got a private message from the man, the myth, the, the legend himself. He said he's headed to the field right now. Would tomorrow work? Oh, John Nagowski. Yep, the, the Nog, Nog father. father. We are going to, I'm going to close this deal, BK. So, uh, Guess what? Here, you and Alex can talk about <laughs> about the rest of the yeah. yeah, Paul DeYoung and Yadier Molina. We'll talk who, about them. I want to talk about the Nog Father. I hope the Nog Father doesn't lose on all of his playing time whenever they do return. That is what I do want to talk about here. If you missed that, that was uh, John Mosellock on the return here. The Cardinals have a few players that should be making their return soon. Sounds like DeYoung, Yadi, they'll be among them. It doesn't sound like it's going to be early this week, but potentially whenever the Cardinals return back here to St. Louis over the weekend, they could get back. And, Jamie, my question to you would be this. Who are the players currently getting playing time that are going to lose out on playing time whenever the the typical starters get back? Because Kisner is obvious, right? 
you're going to have Yachty behind the plate every day whenever Yachty returns to the field of play. DeYoung's going to go back to shortstop. That brings up questions about third base. What do you do there? And the real question to me is the DH spot. What do you do at DH whenever DeYoung and Yachty return to the field of play? Wow. Yeah. Um, tell you what, I really liked Kisner. I know that, you know, he hasn't had a lot of production, but he is hitting the ball pretty well. He, you know, the ball's coming off the bat pretty good. Uh, Matt Carpenter, I mean, I know it just seems to be the role that he slides into uh, almost by default sometimes. But, uh, you know, how long till Lane Thomas is back? Do we know? Because he's a little behind it he's all, He's later right? on, so he won't be right back with this first group. This first group, the, the big position players that you're getting DeYoung, back are Yachty and DeYoung. Right? Yeah. yeah. Um, gosh, it, it's a tough call. I mean, let me bounce it back at you. Who do you think? Because I'm going through like 12 different options in my head, and I'm not sure any of them really make sense. I think your options at DH moving forward are going to be either Dexter Fowler or Matt Carpenter. I think those are the guys. Because That's a good call. I think Tommy Edmond bounces back to third. I think you put him there. He has been everything that we hoped he would be and then some so far this season, both defensively and at the plate. He's been fine at short, which you never know how they're going to handle that transition. But Tommy Edmond's been fine filling in at short so far this year. I think that what you're going to see is they're going to give Matt Carpenter back to the DH spot. He's going he's to go there. But on the days where they want to get Harrison Bader into the lineup, and they are not giving up on that project yet. They still want to see a little bit of Harrison Bader out in center field. I think you're going to see some more Dexter Fowler at DH. I think you're going to see some days where you get Dylan Carlson or Tyler O'Neill. I think you've got four guys in the outfield right now that are playing with three spots, and they're going to cycle through them. I think you're going to continue seeing Dylan Carlson moving from one spot to another over the course of the next few weeks. I think with that with that thought alone, Dylan Carlson, which it looks like they want him in the lineup more often than not, and if that's the case, then yeah, Dexter Fowler makes perfect sense. But then, you know, is that a day you sit Matt Carpenter? Is that a day that you just wait? Probably. He's bench player at that point. It's a tough call. I just don't know. You know what I mean? The thing about Carpenter is... I just eventually you're going to have to start seeing the results and we haven't seen them thus far this season. And if he's not going to be hitting and he's playing DH for you, what is he bringing to the table yesterday? Bases loaded. You could make contact. Good. Nice little hit there. Great hit. I know. But I need to see more consistency out of him. And so far, he's still pulling the ball too often. He looks like he's going back to the same approach that yeah. he had last year. I don't know why either, guys. Help me with that, okay? Because I'm watching on TV, and they do a great job of covering the outfield, or the infield, rather, and they put the shift on. And I'm like, there's absolutely nobody on this side of the field. Like, nothing. Never mind for a base hit. But if I'm Matt Carpenter, and I know I went through this last year with Stoltz, and Stoltz just shook his head um, with me all the time. How do you not just lay a bunt down? That doesn't even have to be a good bunt, BK, because have you seen the way they play the shift? <laughs> like the third baseman is literally almost at second base. All you got to do is just put the bat out there and let the ball hit the bat, and I guarantee his, it'd be a single every time, every bleeping time. <laughs> Yeah, that was close. That was real. That close. was close. I have I have asked the same questions for years. How's it hard? Like if I'm a professional baseball player and people are like, well, he's not really great at bunting. Well, get good at it. What else do you have to do? And even if you're bad at it, make salsa. The potential. 
Just gonna let that one sit there. Just gonna let that one sit there. Just let it. Uh, let Even it simmer. if you are bad at it, at the very least, it makes them think that you could potentially put down a bot, right? Something. And now they got a cover for it. So I'm with you. I, I do think there is something to that. I'm going through the potential lineup whenever these guys return, and guys, this doesn't sound so bad to me. Wong leadoff, Edmund second, Goldie batting third, DeYoung hitting cleanup again. And you've got DeYoung, O'Neal potentially going back-to-back, Carlson batting sixth, you've got Dexter, you've got Yachty, and then you've got whatever the DH is on any given day. That sounds like a pretty good lineup to me. And so I'm starting to wonder, you know, as you move forward here and you you like what you see from Carlson, you like what you see from Kisner, are, are we are we more optimistic today about the Cardinals, and are we overly potentially optimistic today about the Cardinals coming off of this three game series over the weekend compared to where we were previously? Are you feeling Are you feeling good about feeling the Cardinals good. right now? Yeah, I like what I saw. I mean, it's just kind of a a mishmash of players, and you know, we see a lot of names we haven't seen before, and they're doing it. I, to me, it looked fine. Yeah. I mean, when you look at the way that the offense rolled through and you were creating that much offense and scoring opportunities with two key components in your lineup, you're high on it right now, yes, but rightfully so because guys are hitting. Like, that's the thing right now. You're you're seeing contact. It's not just one player hitting. You're getting contributions from that whole lineup. So you should be high right now on these guys. I think Carpenter's the guy to watch. I think this week, the reason why I wanted to bring all of this up is because this week he's got to earn his spot moving forward in this lineup. And if you, if we assume that coming up this weekend you're going to get Yachty and DeYoung back, there's going to be one, at least one guy in this lineup that is out there right now that is a regular that will no longer be getting everyday at-bats. And this week could go a long way for him. He's going to have plenty of... Lane Thomas? He's not going to be back probably this Brad week. Miller? No, but once he is back... No, seriously, I'm looking at going, okay, now Dylan Carlson's in your plans probably every day. Dexter Fowler might DH. What about Lane Thomas? Odd man out. Somebody has to hit the ball, right? Odd man out. Yeah. I mean, if Carlson what starts to fold. Who came or? up? Who was, the, who was the one guy? Austin Dean. No, 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 no. <laughs> Brad Miller? Was it, uh, oh, it's the Nog father. He's the guy who's a first baseman, isn't mm-hmm. he? Yeah. It, it, apparently his stats show that he's able to put the bat on the boy. Some questionable running decisions. They've However, got, still. They've got some legitimate opportunities to be able to have a DH in their lineup every day if Matt Carpenter doesn't start hitting, to have a guy that can actually hit. Nagowski could be one of those guys. Maybe you get Kisner in there every once in a while. Maybe you have Tyler O'Neill and Dylan Carlson and Dexter Fowler taking opportunities there. You can piece that thing together if need be, especially with all of these doubleheaders that are out there right now, and then there's going to continue to be some moving forward if the Reds aren't able to get back onto the field anytime soon. You're going to have some opportunities there for these guys to be able to get some consistent at-bats. And maybe they're not going to be coming from Matt Carpenter as often as we would have expected. That's absolutely on the table. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. Jordan Cairo has earned himself more opportunities. Does his line from last night remind you of anything from last year? Talk about that coming up on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Might have been the best game, might have been the most competitive game I've seen him play, and that's so when I put him in the lineup, that's the conversation I had with him. It's not about, you know, if you score a goal or make a play. It's about, you know, doing the right things, playing the right way, and being a highly competitive player. And I thought he was really competitive tonight. That was Craig Berube last night talking about Jordan Cairo and the play that we saw from him last night. How about that, Jamie? 
I thought it was great. He honestly. looked fantastic. Looked like one of the best players on the ice at times for the Blues. He looked fast as hell. That Kairu Bozak shin line was awesome. A buddy of mine texted me this the other night, and I wanted to get your thoughts on this, Jamie. Got a buddy? A couple. Not many, but a couple. Okay. He said the Kairu Bozak shin line reminded him last night of what we saw last year in the playoffs from the Thomas Bozak maroon line. The energy, the physicality, having Bozak in the center as the guy that can just continuously get everything in the right position. He felt like last night, the speed from Kairou and the heaviness that you get from Shin's game gave you a little bit of what you saw last year from that line with the Maroon line. What do you think about that? That comparison? Yeah, I can buy it. I can buy it. You know, I I think that I'd like to see it two, three, four games. Um, but I can see how your buddy would uh, would have thought that. I think one thing we've talked about a lot is how do you get what Pat Maroon brought to the table last year? Who who can bring that to you this year? And it's a strange comparison because obviously the body types are not similar in any way. No. But Braden Shin gives you a little bit of that. His physicality, his competitiveness. You guys saw this. He goes over to he goes over off of the ice and starts whacking his stick. He had the meltdown. I was <laughs> he laughing he went so hard. Jackson on that stick and broke it four times. Guys, I can tell you, once you start breaking that stick, <laughs> like it feels so good, but then you're so angry at the same time. I've been down that road to where you're like sitting there left with the nub of the stick. Do you, hear, do you see him hit Sonny with it the first time? Oh my god. Sonny turned and looked like, what the hell? No, at that point you're just like covering up. You're like, yeah. don't even make eye contact. But that's some of the competitiveness that Pat Maroon brought to the roster last year. And Shen brought that as well, of course. But you need that somewhere. You need somebody to bring that for you both on and off the ice. Mm-hmm. I think Shen in some ways, can give you a little bit of what Pat Maroon brought to the roster a year ago. Yeah, so here's what Braden Shen brings to the table that is similar to Pat Maroon. They both got great hands. They both have the ability to finish and put pucks in the net. They both have the ability to play physical. But the biggest thing is the puck retrieval and the puck possession game. That's where the similarities are really, really close. And if you watch Braden Shen, he's really good along the boards. He plays a great cycle game. He retrieves pucks exceptionally well. And another one, too, if we're going to keep going here, is he in net front presence. You yes. know, the big rig certainly, like you said, the body types don't match identically. Not many people do in the NHL as far as you know, being the, st- the size and, and the stature of Pat Maroon. Um, but, yeah, Braden Shen has a lot of things in his game that can translate to what the big rig was doing here for the Blues. And... I do like it. I think of the Tyler Bozak, the responsible centerman. Heck, you've got two centermen, really, on that line because Braden Shen is a natural centerman as well. So you're looking that you probably have the advantage in the faceoff circle at that point. And it lets Jordan Cairo play with some speed, play with some creativity. And, you know, like even like those guys did last year, they're going to keep him honest. You don't think Braden Shen, especially the young kid looking over and Braden Shen is breaking his stick into 20 million pieces. You don't think you're going to back check for this guy? You'd be like, yeah, if I don't back check, that's going to be me that he's snapping over the boards like 100 times. So I do. I like the comparison to that line. I like the chemistry. I thought they really added something different last night. It was really noticeable to me that once Craig Berube put that line together, 
it just had something unique. The speed of Cairo and the fact that he was competing as hard as he was, like Chief talked about, and the Bozak Shan addition to that, the, their uh, the ability to be consistent and to be reliable out there. I did. I liked it, Alex. The only thing that, that you don't have, whether it be Shen or anybody else that Pat Maroon brought, was just that, that calm attitude, that loose attitude in the locker room. Certainly. I mean, that's the only thing that you don't have. But in terms of the power and the size and going to the net, Braden Shen is that guy. And I like the comparison, too, because if you look at what that line was last year, you had the defensive responsibility of Tyler Bozak, which, of course, he was doing that in the center position. You had the speed of Romer Thomas, which is Jordan Cairo, and Braden Shen. Now, what's different to me is Shen's a guy that will go hard into those boards and, and battle below. Pat Maroon was a guy who would throw that forecheck, but then go right in front of the net and just park himself there like Big Walt style. That's one thing that Shen doesn't do. Shen will go there, but Shen likes to play the puck in the offensive zone. He likes to get in the corners and try and create. He's very similar to Jaden Schwartz. But, look, you need that type of line. If you go through kind of how that line setup is right now for the Blues, that's that line of Thomas and Bozak and Maroon. They're the heavy hitters. O'Reilly and Perron and Schwartz are the skill set right now. You got the young kid line. You have the fourth line. You need a power line like that. And especially with the spaz of Jacob Markstrom, everybody, and I mean everybody, 12 forwards, go to the net, park yourself there, take a couple of extra hacks when the puck is underneath them, get in this guy's head. And Pat Maroon was the king of that last year for the Blues. I've got some line combinations that I would like to see tonight. The hockey guy, the hockey guy, BK. Hockey guy, this should be fun. Let's go. Yeah, well, I think... Here we go. I think you're going to like these. I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised by these. I doubt it, but go ahead. (laughs) Schwartz, O'Reilly, Perron. Are we off to a good start so far? So far, that's okay. Shinbo's at Kairu. We just said we like that one. Okay. Blay Thomas Tarasenko. Yeah, I love that. Uh, I would do Thomas Tarasenko Sanford. Mm, I don't know if Sandy chases down enough pucks and creates enough chaos for that. Yeah. But I don't know if Sandy can do fourth line. Fourth line, to your point, Barbie, Sonny, and Steiner Sanford on that fourth line. Yeah, it becomes not a fourth line then. Yeah. You know, so I do, I actually like your line combinations. Hmm. Who sent them to you? My buddy. <laughs> My buddy. <laughs> no, I like it. And Alex, to your point, you could probably swap Blay and Sanford, uh, you know, maybe They're a couple times yeah. throughout the game. You give it a little bit of a fresh look. I just like having I like having Blay, that heavy presence next to Thomas and Tarasenko. The other thing with Blay is, too, he, he's, I, I say this not trying to disrespect him, but he's very fragile. I mean, we've seen him in a couple of games where he'll go in for a heavy hit or something and he gets banged up and then he's on the bench for a couple of shifts talking with Ray Barilli. Not that that's bad because you like that physical presence, but you need that chemistry out there. And if he's not out there for two shifts, then you got to throw somebody else out there. Then you're throwing the fatigue factor. And Sanford's a guy that continuously goes out there no matter what. I just Does he bring the same physicality no, next to Thomas close. and no, Tarasenko? Of course not. not even close. Of course and not. If, you, if you want that on that line, and I, th- I think I do... If Barbashev is back, maybe you even consider Barbie as that. Yeah, but you know what? Tarasenko can be that physical presence if you get him to play the game. He was that physical presence last year. You just have to get him to play that way. Yeah, you're going to be a little cautious with that. Uh, certainly coming back from a shoulder injury, surgery. Um, but no, I, I like it. And look, it. I think I think people are starting to see what we've been saying for a long time that Sammy Blay is very offensively gifted. Mm -hmm. Now, don't get me wrong. It's not a 40- or 50-goal scorer, 
But if you watch the way he handles the puck specifically this season and even after the pause, he makes great offensive plays. You give him the puck in, in an area where he need a goal, he's, he can make it happen. He's able to do it. And if you watch him with Robert Thomas for the last couple of games, even though it's kind of been sporadic at times, they do click very well together. So you add Vladdy on the other side. And like I said, anything you can do right now to ignite Vladimir Tarasenko, we got to get him going. We got to get Big Daddy Vladdy back here. Do you think we see him tonight? Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And I Unless think he's really, really hurt. That Like, there's no way. Like, we can speculate all we want about whether he was hurt or not, or why would you sit him and then this and that. If you don't see him again tonight and it's not injury-related, you will have seen the last game played by Tarasenko. Because there's no way. And I see the same with Steen. I think Steen's going to be in tonight. You're cautious with him right now because he's unfit to play. But I think those two will be in because as much as last night was a must win, this is as well. Because if you get this one, you break the Vancouver Canucks. I think if they get this one, they've got a really good chance to win this in six. I, I, I think you've got a really good opportunity to win it in six if you're able to I'm win I'm still tonight. sticking with my six. Oh, yeah. Six isn't going anywhere for me. Pick six. That's football. That's I'm football. still sticking with seven, but if they win tonight, you started, you started with, six. with six. I know I switched it on Friday. Oh, well, remember? I guess we're just switching. Oh, I now, didn't know. We, I, I didn't know we get to top oh, over the fence I, whenever we wanted. I'm calling the Islanders in four. Then no, you what? I hate both of you. <laughs> That's Jamie Rivers. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. Mizzou Athletic Director Jim Sterk's going to join us coming up next. Where is the SEC at at this point? Are they 100 percent steadfast in playing football this fall? And Jamie's daughter's going to Mizzou later on this week today, right? Today, she's on her way right now. Campus is about to be full. Uh-oh. How much concern is there for the athletic director <laughs> at Mizzou suit. as to what that's going to mean for Mizzou over the next couple of weeks? We'll talk about it all with Jim Sterk, the Mizzou athletic director, coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Alongside former Blue Superstar defenseman Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Happy to go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line to be joined by Mizzou Athletic Director Jim Sterk on the day that Mizzou football officially launched their fall camp today. Jim, we always appreciate the time. How are you doing today? I'm doing all right, thanks. Yeah, it is a great day. Um, a lot of lot of activity, and and it's great to. Great to have our mouth practicing. So let's start with this, Jim, because we know last week there was a ton of news across college football. Where is the SEC right now? Where is Mizzou right now in terms of we know what the decision is right now? Uh, how how steadfast do you believe that this conference is in playing a college football season this fall? Well, we've been consistently from the start. Uh, they put a great task force, medical task force together, and we've taken advice from from them throughout since March, basically. And, and so the, the goal was to get to this point and, uh, and, and move on into the season. And, and so far they've helped us navigate, um, put together some great protocols and a lot of, a lot of, a lot of huge effort from the, the doctors. We have our, our Dr. Witt here that's on the task force and he's an immunologist and, uh, really well respected. And so he, he's been, um, we're going to owe him a lot. They, I think he'll, once this is all done, he'll probably disappear for a couple months, but he's, uh, 
He's been on um, some days seven Zoom calls um, with the SEC, with the campus. He's helped navigate that. And then he, I think he's also on a group that the governor utilizes. And so um, great advice. We have that resource here, and, and we're able to, to move forward. And so we're, we're at a, a, a point where, you know, we're continuing to move forward until we don't. And, and, and so uh, we're, we're at practice. We're, uh, we've, we've had uh, student athletes on campus uh, way back, I think it was June 8th or so, when they started to, to, started to condition, and, and we've, we've had students on campus as well, uh, vet med students and other research students on campus as well. So um, we've been navigating. We've had some positive, but able to, to trace and control and, and test, and so I think we're, we're in as good a place as we can be, but um, also ready to pivot if we need to. Yeah, Jim, I can tell you why. I mean, we're pulling for you guys. Certainly, we're very excited for this season to happen. And, yeah, I guess what would be the biggest challenge, though, that lies ahead for not just your program, but the SEC now in general on a day-to-day basis? What's the biggest challenge presenting itself to you guys, knowing that, you know, the, the rosters are so huge and the schools themselves have a lot of kids that attend the schools? And just wondering how you... You guys are preparing for all that and making sure that hey everybody stays healthy yeah and and that's the the goal and and so um you know i i it's been interesting i I've, I've watched um high school football open up in missouri and i i check with my counterparts across the sec you know some had scrimmages a week ago already and so uh, the high schools are are in uh, in practicing and then the other thing that i i think we all need to monitor is is how the how all the students coming back to campus and and can they you know socially distance can they be um can they act act smartly about this and and so um we were all 18 to 20 year olds and invincible and so that that's a concern i guess is is how we um we how that all uh, occurs is there spikes um obviously there'll be some with all those students coming back to campuses but can they be controlled and and can they be uh, effectively mitigated um and and we got the, the best advice i heard from our our doc was you know just treat everyone as if outside your social circle uh, that they have covid and that's the safest you can be and and i think our student athletes have done a really really good job we haven't had huge outbreaks we've we've had you know um bumps along the road but we've been able to move forward uh to this point in time we're talking with the Mizzou Athletic Director Jim Sterk here on 101 ESPN. Jim, I don't know if you've seen any of the pictures from over the weekend at Alabama. They were certainly concerning to a lot of us on the outside looking in, but as somebody in your position where you're doing everything you possibly can right now, I would imagine, to try to keep these athletes safe, what was your reaction if you did see those pictures over the weekend of all of the kids congregating with seemingly basically no masks out as they were arriving back? Back on campus yeah we're um you know our, our athletes in um you know the some of the pro teams are in bubbles and we're kind of in an umbrella you know we've got this umbrella of protocols and things but but if if someone you know steps underneath that umbrella that 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 is infected it it, it is it'll uh it'll impact us greatly and so you, you saw um their athletics director greg Byrne, you know reach out on twitter hey folks we need you to you know mask up and he was really pushing 
pushing for them to act more responsibly and and uh, hopefully they can control it there. You know, Jim, someone that has been acting very responsibly and trying to pass the message on has been Coach Drink. I think that he's been very straightforward with his message to not just the, his players, but anybody who's a Mizzou fan, the the general public that just pay attention. And so based on that, you know, the the coach drink experiment so far, I mean, we've seen this guy just knocking it out of the park with some of his recruiting. Is any of that a surprise to you? Now, obviously, I know you guys hired him and you knew what you were getting into. But in my opinion, I think he's definitely he's done a fantastic job job so far yeah and and as fantastic as a job as you can you know before really having a an opportunity in a in a normal environment um and with practices and and a normal season and so um we we got dealt the card you know a week or so ago on the on the schedule that's one of the toughest if not the toughest in the in the country and so um that that's a challenge but i think He's he's up for the challenge. He's a, he's a great leader. Uh, engages our student athletes, and their their and and our coaches are are really behind um, his efforts. And I, I I couldn't be more pleased in how he's handled things to date, and and how he's how he's continuing to move the program forward. Uh, Jim, I've got to ask you. He's brought it up. The you guys getting LSU and Alabama from the SEC West in this new cross division. The the two games that they added to every schedule. There was a report that there was a contentious call on Zoom between SEC coaches last week. I, I'd just be curious. What was your reaction whenever you saw Alabama and LSU were the two teams that Mizzou was going to pull this year from the other conference or the other division? Well, it, it didn't surprise me, and that would shock some. But I just, I just felt, and I, I had joked, and you know, tongue in cheek a little of, hey, you know, we're going to get Alabama and and, and LSU, um, and and just that's how it happened. We we haven't seen how it was, you know, the all the rankings and how all the 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 metrics behind it, but um, but yeah, the, the uh, it was a surprise, um, but but not totally unexpected. I got to ask you one question about the positive test because we we all hope that Mizzou football, the SEC as a whole, all these college football teams that decide to play this fall, we we hope and pray that there are no positive tests all fall, but we know how this virus works, and sometimes it can get itself into some of these teams, and then you've got a problem. We saw here locally with the St. Louis Cardinals, they had one positive test, and that became 16, 17, 18, and then they were shut down for two weeks. Jim, how do you guys deal with a positive test if you get one inside of that locker room and one of your players does test positive what what is the immediate protocol of what happens next after a player were to test positive well obviously we we notify the the cdc and they they're actually notified anyway of any positive test but we also have uh cooperated with them and our our trainers are are working with them and and acting as kind of pre-tracers if you will and and gathering as much information as you can and and obviously isolating and then isolating the the folks we've we've had a positive test and then roommates you know are are quarantined for 14 days and so you you have those kinds of situations that we've already been through um, that will will be obviously implemented uh, as we as we move forward you want to minimize them as much as you can but it, it's happening across the country and the world and so we've it's a reality that we'll have some but we have to be ready to do that um 
hopefully you you catch it and you you uh, and and we've we've been really careful um you know practices masking um we test we also um test symptoms if you will every day so even even i have my little wristband on that you know as i walk into my office we have someone testing temperature oxygen level um and then and then symptoms asking that and so the university overall have an app that tracks that and and feed information to but but um we've been trying to be as careful as we can and and you just try it it is a terrible virus but it's it's a virus and you you've got to try to control it as best you can we know here locally we learned with the cardinals outbreak that even when you test positive there are there is a time period before then and we've learned so much about this jim <laughs> over the last yeah, few weeks yeah. with isn't this, it amazing what we all know now it's yeah. it's absurd the, the, but we have learned so much about this incubation period right that's kind of been the buzzword around here is okay so before you tested positive you could even have the you can be a carrier of the virus you can transmit that to other players that you've come in contact with and now you've got four or five others that you don't know about yet that are they have the virus but they're not testing positive and so i i'm just curious jim if you have a player that does end up testing positive and let's say it's an offensive lineman and they've gone up against defensive linemen at practice over the course of that week do you then have to shut things down for a period of five to seven days or however long it is that the cdc recommends now because you could potentially have that transmitting amongst the team even before they test positive you know, now you're drilling down into the medical where, you know, I'm, uh, I, I stayed at a, a Motel 6, but I don't know everything <laughs> about it. Um, but I, you know, uh, we, our, our trainers, as I said, they'll, they'll feed that information to uh, the CDC and, and then they will dictate as far as the, our medical professionals will dictate, you know, who has to be shut down and how that, how that's handled. But um, I, I feel good about, uh, we've had a group. Uh, our repopulation committee that's meet, been meeting twice a week that's spent a lot of time and we have trainers our trainers on there and and docs um, the, the the student health um, doctor dr. Henderson so um, a lot of good people working on that and and they know a heck of a lot more about it than I do but um, I know enough to be dangerous a couple of questions left here for Jim Stirk, the Mizzou Athletic Director here on 101 ESPN. Jim, if you don't mind me asking, what what is the monetary amount, the revenue that is on the line this this fall with football if you assume that there is limited capacity at a maximum for for the games? How much money are we talking about whether you guys have a football season or not that is potentially on the line? You know, um, I, I haven't totaled all of that. If you look at it, it's been reported, you know, what the SEC, you know, sends out each year. But that's that includes the men's basketball tournament and your your shares from that. And so that's, you know, that's in the 40-some million dollar range. Um, um, and then, then you have ticket sales and, and donations that are tied to tickets and things like that. So it, it quickly gets up there, um, you know, into that, that higher level and, and um, you know, I have I haven't put a, a pencil to okay if we shut completely down, what is it going to be? It's it's a huge range of of you know if if we can if we don't have football in the fall and move it to spring, you know what does that look like? And and um, it'll be impacted, but how much we're not sure as far as television revenue and things like that. So uh, those are all things to be worked out. But but it's a it's a big range, you know from 
from 40 to, you know, to 60 to $70 million in revenue that would be different from last year. And so those are um, significant dollars that we'd have to, we'd have to deal with. Last question for you as we're talking with the Mizzou Athletic Director, Jim Sterk. Jim, for, for any Mizzou fans that are hoping to see fo- football this fall, what needs to happen between now and the first week of the season for us to actually be able to watch the Missouri Tigers take the field? I think that, that everyone stays vigilant on, on the masking, that we they, they do that, and, and there, will be, there will be outbreaks and there will be increases, but we need to keep it keep it down at a level that that is manageable and so that that it's not a decision of the health health directors of the cdc to um to shut shut down the the community and i think those are the biggest things and in each of our we're in 11 states and 14 counties and and that's going to be important for everyone to do that so that we can we can actually play and that includes students and faculty and staff and and the community members so it's we're in this thing together and and we've got to help um conquer it together and so uh, that that's that'll be important for us to be able to do that well jim we're all rooting for you guys we hope you're able to play football this fall we're, we hope that everybody stays uh, healthy out there in columbia we look forward to watching uh eli drinkwitz lead the tigers onto the field this fall and we hope that we're able to do so consistently jim we always appreciate the time man thanks so much for hopping on with us today all right thanks guys you got it that's jim stark joining us here on 101 espn one little concern that i have about the, the, the answer that he had on the tracing it feels like they could potentially fall into the same issue that the cardinals did and Jim Sterk is the athletic director, right? Mm-hmm. He is he is not the medical personnel. Yeah. But we now know, after what we've gone through here locally, John Mosaloc also not a medical director. He's not, he, he has no medical history in his background. He basically had to become somebody that was involved in the medical side of things with the outbreak that happened here. And that's going to be what happens in any of these individual college towns with their athletic directors if something were to take place amongst the teams. But what else, uh, how else can you approach it, right? Look at how many kids that they have to deal with on that roster and then come into contact. Like, it's going to be astronomical keeping track of all this stuff. And I'm not being negative at all here. Trust me. I want them to play. But how else do you handle it without literally putting... Like the NBA, where you've got these like tracking devices on these people. My my concern is if you have the center, center of the offensive line that goes, he, he tests positive. Yeah, and he tests positive on a Tuesday, and he practiced, or he, let's say it's a Thursday, he practiced against the defensive line, and he was right next to his fellow offensive lineman on Monday and Tuesday, and he played the game on Saturday. Well, we've seen here locally. That, that guy was positive before that test resulted in a positive. And so it very well could have transmitted to his teammates how many of them are now positive without having a positive test at that point. And they're not testing every day in the SEC. I think right now it's three times a week. So there's also a lag there in the testing. So I, I hope that they're able Ugh. to pull this off. I really do. Football's going to have a tough time, man. It's like, just going to be really hard to pull it off. Hockey, NHL, which we got report again today, there's another week of negative tests in the bubble. But you play a physical contact sport like football and you're not going to be in a bubble environment you're going to have these college kids it just feels I'm not really trying difficult. to be debbie downer i'm just going like wow it that could get out of hand and i do think they've got a good plan 
Okay, I think all of these schools, I mean, there's so much money on the line that they, of course, they're going to try to have the best plan possible in place to be able to do this as safely as possible. It's just I, I don't know if it's possible at this point to be able to actually pull this thing off. Fingers crossed. I hope it works from the 314. Jamie, tell BK the coach drinks said get your hope out of your vocabulary. All I can have at this point is hope. That's all I can do. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylo. We'll cross things over next. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Alongside Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylo. They didn't hear that, Jamie. No, but Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Time to cross. to him at least what happened. Well, BK went to what do they call that? Hit the post when you nail it right on the thing. Is that what you call it? No, no. Okay, close enough. And uh, Alex just didn't turn his mic on and let him like take two swings at it before he turned his mic. On. It sounded good though. A couple take, of warm up hacks. Yeah, you take your first couple of shots, then that third one's going to be incredible. It was the BK remix. <laughs> sounded better the third time. I I want. BT, what's going on, man? How you doing? No, I'm great. We got a, a we had a weekend that was chock full of sports. Like life is good again for us. We don't have to make stuff up right now. That is a fun thing. So it was wall to wall yesterday. You I gotta still say, make stuff up. Of course, absolutely. <laughs> I had so many off the wall stories that had this been like May. We would have had a lot of fun today. Now, we had a lot of fun regardless, but, man, there were some wild stories that what came out over the What was one you came weekend. across? Like, what was one that really uh, struck some interest for you? So, we're going to use them tomorrow in the junk right, drawer, so I don't know how uh, much yeah, I want to get into that. Yeah, don't fine. take our stuff. No, but don't do don't bleed us dry. You only got tease. a few. Okay, like, good, because we'll turn that into a segment today and totally beat you to it tomorrow. <laughs> Remember the murder <laughs> hornets that we talked about? Oh, yeah. yeah. Now there's a new one that's come over to America, so... That's your little tease. 2020's been a real bitch, hasn't it? <laughs> like, there's something trying to kill you around every single corner. It's insanity. Hey, bob and weave. That's all we can do. We <laughs> bob and weave. And We're going to be good. Stick We're gonna and be fine. That's it. That's it. <laughs> BT, what was your biggest takeaway from the Cardinals this weekend? God, they played. I mean, they, they, I, I'm shocked. Honestly, I'm shocked that they were able to sweep on Saturday the, the doubleheader. Like that, I know Lucas Giolito helped out a little bit in game one. You walk the leadoff batter. You hit a couple of guys. I really thought they'd figure out a way to hit into a triple play and just like, <laughs> uh, like something bad was going to happen because that's all we've seen. We've seen nothing but negative. And the fact that they went out there and fought the way that they did, the depth that they have had to grab already throughout this young season has been impressive. A lot Those of guys kids have played stepped well. Up. Played really well, man. Well, a one one bump in the road, well, uh, and I feel so bad for Royal oh, Ramirez. Not exactly he's how he's going down trying. today. Yeah, of course he is. He didn't even unpack. I probably could have caught a flight on one of those balls. Like I know oh, how that God. is. Oh, I can my. say that. Okay. I can say Whoa. that. Question for you? No, I've never given up four in a row. Okay, <laughs> that was not my question. Okay. However, that's a good answer. Uh-huh. Now. How do you leave a guy in there for four in a row? You know what? Is it the, it's you the three innings. batter minimum, right? Need, Does that he, mean if he, he serves the, up three, you still got to leave him in there? He had the three batters before that. <laughs> he had faced four batters, I think, before the first guy hit a home run. So but they're at the point right now, though, where if you get in a game, I need an inning out of you <laughs> yeah. at the very least. Well, because because they knew, put money. There's no way they can hit three. <laughs> there's no way they Hold can get beer. So I, I was talking around, uh, around about it a little bit after the game doing the postgame show. But but in all like seriousness... There is a little faith that goes into it. It's like, hey, I got you, okay? I'm not going to, like, back-to-back home runs. Go get his ass. Go get this guy. It's like, oh, he got you, too? So, so All four. right. I'll give you another one. <laughs> one more. All right. I'm going to come get you because you hit your pitch limit. It ain't about the home runs. I it's just that I didn't want you to get him more. now. 
It sucks, man. You know what, though? Roel Ramirez got a good arm. He got to the big leagues uh, because he deserved it. He was a, a part of a trade because he deserved it. He'll get another chance again. But, damn, that's that's not how you write it up. He's going to be okay, though. The first time in MLB history. ML, we've been playing baseball for long a time. long time. I thought it happened one other time. N- not the in a debut. Didn't they do that? Not in a debut. <laughs> oh, the debut. Oh, yeah. There have that been one. more than 20,000 yeah. baseball players to make debuts. He was the first to it's do gonna that. It's going to be trivia. It's going to be trivia on this station. It's going to be trivia uh, everywhere. And he is a part of that. Now, I hope that he gets to write himself a new chapter. <laughs> can't tell the story of baseball without him. Damn well, right. Who was the day two? Who was the guy on the Cardinals a couple of years ago who got the start? And it was his first major Mike league Mike Myers. Mike Myers. He Myers. Gave nine against yeah. the Dodgers. He got lit up, too. I felt horrible for him. He ended well, up making something good out well, of it. Yeah. He ended up being an okay pitcher for him. I... I'll tell you this right now, real quick. I will take up giving four home runs in a row in the big leagues over giving up 11 runs in the first inning of an independent ball game, which I did. So 11. 11. That's impressive. 11. I went six innings, though. <laughs> Kept the ball. You and Nagowski. the final score. Two great independent uh, league alums. <laughs> It, the, the final score ended up being 11-2, to two, I think. Okay, so you bounce back. Bounce back. How kind many of. puppies come I'm talking about? I was angry. <laughs> After that first inning, I thought about taking my jersey off and just walking off with it. That's it. You showed <laughs> instead. It would have been better. Yeah, it would have been better if I quit. What's coming up on the fast lane? Yeah, we're going to talk about all this good stuff. We're talking about the Cardinals. Obviously, the the, the wind has shifted here with the Blues, so we're pumped up about that. And I want to see if they can step on somebody's throat tonight. All of a sudden, you kick the kids in the face. Now, what are you going to do to them now? That's from 2 to 6. You have been listening to the Ribs and BK Podcast on 101 ESPN. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.